It's a beautiful Sunday morning here at Factor Fantasy with Chase and Josh. That's Chase. I'm Josh, and we are here to bring you the conclusion of The Prisoner of Azkaban from Chapter 16, Professor Trelawney's prediction through the end of the book. Here we come, baby. Baby. Malice in the chalice, baby. <laughs> Let's do a quick Good cheers stuff. on it. Let's do it, my man. Cheers, man. Good stuff. Ugh. Yeah, it's been a interesting uh past few weeks for us i would say oh uh, it has indeed you're talking about the whole uh, audio scenario <laughs> yeah i mean first you know you uh yeah you know i know you're big on the decorations yourself so you helped me out in my studio here and made sure it was looking good and uh yeah had some i don't want to say big audio changes but <laughs> big audio fixes so uh if any of us if y'all tuned into our last like three four episodes something like that um josh will kind of go into that real quick so uh cheers to you guys man another malice in the chalice for you guys because uh <laughs> those are the true fans you want to go well, the ones had to put up with that for a couple weeks i'll give it to it man hey glasses <laughs> up boys and girls mm-hmm the true fans of fof so what chase is alluding to guys is uh if you were listening the past couple weeks like he was saying uh the audio has sounded subpar compared to where we're usually at with our studio grade equipment well there is a reason for that so we of course instead of going for simple fixes first we just tried to like figure out What's the most confusing way that it could possibly be? So I'm telling Chase, like, hey, man, back up from the mic. It sounds like you're swallowing the mic. You're too close to it. You know, it sounds like you're you're in an ocean there. So back up. We'll figure that out. Uh, he, he backs up. He, we do another, another episode. Still sounds crazy. So I'm like, man, it just sounds like maybe you're in an open room. Maybe we need to get some stuff to where, like, you know, the the, the room itself doesn't sound so echoey. And, you know, not even realizing, hey, we've been doing this show for, you know, since January of 2020 beginning, right? So we're closing in on a year doing this show, and we've never had an issue with that. So I don't know why I just <laughs> thought, like, out of nowhere, all of a sudden where he was recording is no longer uh, sound efficient. But anyways, we've been trying all these things. And then Wednesday night, I was like, listen, hey, man, just FaceTime me. I'm going to just make sure all your settings on the, uh, the what's it called? audio interface are set and on our DAW which is happens to be audacity are set too so he facetimes me and you know there's like there's like minor issues on the audio interface like like he had one thing plugged into the wrong one so the volume was changed so that had a little bit to do with it but that was like nothing too crazy like this still should have sounded better than it did so then we go on to audacity and, and he's showing me what he's looking at here on the board and I'm seeing He's using his built-in audio, which basically means he was recording the entire podcast episodes with his laptop's recording internal device. So that's why it sounded very, very um, uh, lackluster, I will say. But all we, we turned the microphones on. He's got it recording straight from the mics today. It looks good. It sounds great. So thanks, guys, for sticking with us through those interesting past couple weeks. We're here back to give you the best quality that we got, but... Yeah, man, that was a uh, that drove us crazy for a good solid week and a half, two weeks for sure. Yeah, the moral of the story here is don't forget to turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you know, I never 
want to encourage anyone to like rob banks or anything but say if you are like a bank robber check to see if the safe is open first that's probably a good idea <laughs> or if they're keeping the money in that bank right <laughs> oh yeah got money and you know it <laughs> yeah but today we are money worthy we got the audio on and the funniest part was josh kept saying back away from the mic so <laughs> my little computer was recording this bad boy and i kept backing away from it actually i was a little bit impressed with what it actually picked up that's pretty true man. yeah man so you guys are the true fans of uh fantasy um Last week, we had a really cool, our first kind of live convention that we did. Heck yeah, man. Awesome. I think we did a pretty good job with that, too. So if you guys are fans of us, go check it out. I'm pretty sure they recorded it. So what's her name? Tina Trumpert. She should have the uh, link to the recording that we, we put out there. We did our very first live one uh, yeah. this past Thursday. It was awesome. Like, I was really excited to kind of, what we did was we kind of explained how our show went and we did a little fun debate for for the folks so if you're a big fan of our debates you don't want to miss that it's going to be uh it's gonna be pretty great if you're watching it for the first time if you do catch up and saw that we were promoting it and already saw our live episode that we did awesome thanks a lot like give us some feedback tell us how you think we did but uh yeah that was really a cool experience to tackle for the first time yeah it was it was uh really cool stuff so hopefully um you know as as things keep progressing we keep getting to do these conventions and that sort of thing for you so that's pretty cool um we even uh we're really surprised by this that really meant a lot to us guys um just from our followers that we do have uh you guys being the true fans um we're actually now we were even surprised by this top one percent in the world which is really impressive um which is really cool and uh, I remember, you know, back when we started this thing, just kind of on a whim, we had no idea it would take off like it did. And, and that's what's great is Josh and I, you know, we get to do what we love to do and bring you this content um, all because of you guys. So it's really a tribute to you guys. So Malice and the Chalice on that. And um, yeah, you ready to, uh, let's see, you know, find the madman, track down the rat and try to get out of hogwarts before the dementors catch us no dementors here <laughs> you know hey man you know it bro so i also want to touch on the uh the rankings that you mentioned so that way people have an idea of where to look for that so they can verify what we're saying so guys if you go to listennotes.com it, it is like the biggest site uh for all podcasting so if you guys ever listen to some of the big time podcasts out there like the joe rogan experience he's rated in the top zero one percent and his listen score is a 98 out of 100, right? So like he's like one, like the top tier of podcasting. We're already in the top 1% in our first year of doing it. And our listen score is a 51 out of 100. So above halfway, which is super impressive given the fact that we had no experience when we started this. And we did it for fun. We started it. We're still in our first year. And we're continuing to improve and get better uh, you know, as we go along. So if you guys want to check that out to, to do the go-go fact check, it's listennotes.com. And you'll be able to type in Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. You'll see that we've got the verified blue check mark. Uh, all these things are just so great that uh, we're starting to see all this hard work paying off. And obviously, you, uh, the, the audience listening and, and sticking along with us too, new and old. So we, we love it. But yeah, outside of that, man, we've got a lot of tackle today going into the conclusion of Azkaban because this is where a lot of the story comes together. There's so much in like climatic moments here that... 
you know, we're gonna do the format just a little bit different to give you guys an idea of what we're gonna do today. Normally, I'll take favorite moments and give mine from the chapters that we're doing to the, the actually, for example, today's gonna be chapter 16 to the end of the book. But like, if I did that, it's just gonna be me talking for like an hour and a half and they chase, like not doing anything. So we're gonna switch it up, right? So we're gonna do kind of very similar if you guys watch our uh, differences episodes where we'll go like three and three each. So that way it keeps it, you know, uh, we're both active and entertained throughout the, the favorite moments. And then we'll probably switch back to the normal format once we get through favorite moments because foreshadowed events, plot holes, and interesting facts aren't anywhere near as detailed as the favorite moments in this particular section because a lot of the foreshadowed moments are coming around full circle now, right? So there's not a ton more because it's starting to hit, right? And then obviously tonight or today we're doing our uh, top five magical creatures in Azkaban yeah. too. So mm-hmm. we got a lot to tackle, man. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start you know, with our favorite moments. We're gonna, I'm going to bounce three. You're going to bounce three. We're just going to go off each other until till we get to the end here because, man, this is one of the coolest endings to a Harry Potter book. It really is. I loved it. It really is. I mean, I, I, uh, I mean, biggest thing that really stood out to me, which we'll talk about next week with differences, though, I got to say the movie left out a lot of pretty major details. Like, I don't even think in some of the other films they left off major details like this uh, that we'll even, we'll actually talk about today uh, as far as, like, some of the book details that are really important, but one thing that really stood out to me here is you know going back through it like we were talking about is it really was one of the coolest endings um it is very i guess you're okay with the ending right like the ending is very okay that's good but it's not exactly like the happiest ending like chamber of secrets sort of thing like it's like i'm glad it ended that way for everyone's sake but at the same time you're still not like this is like everything's all hunky-dory now <laughs> like we're gonna kind of see where this goes um and i i think asgaban gets overlooked a lot um a lot because i feel like because of what we're gonna talk about no spoilers here the next book we go into um was really a big defining moment for this arc so because of it Azkaban gets overlooked but it I I gotta say it's been I would still put it up there I mean I've read a lot of books I would say but it's definitely up there in in some of the top books I ever read probably because how creative it was too yeah, it was super creative. The one thing I will say, like, I kind of disagree with you on is just the fact that I really don't think Azkaban's overlooked that much. Because if you talk to, like, like at least for me, I don't know like, if the experience is the same for you, but me talking to any, like, just casual fan of Harry Potter, like, it's either one of two, like, books or movies that they always talk about. It's either Azkaban or Goblet, right? So, like, I don't think it gets overlooked as much as people are, like, making it seem like anyways. Like, I do hear a lot of things, especially... I guess mainly most of it's towards the movie. A lot of people really enjoyed the Azkaban movie, which is interesting because if they read the book, they'd realize that the movie left out a lot of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but <awesome. laughs> uh, I, I, I don't want to say it's necessarily overlooked. I think that's when most people started paying attention. But yeah, no, it, it doesn't get the exact same love Goblet did, and it shouldn't, right? Goblet's a much bigger book, a lot more detail, a lot more things happen. But I don't. I, I think Azkaban gets the love it deserves. I mean, it's not you know, Makes sense. it's not one of those yeah. things that. Uh, 
that you know people just wrote off and you're like wait a second this is really good like no <laughs> yeah i i would say I wouldn't say it gets like too much praise. But I think it gets around what it deserves. It's a good, yeah, it's good. It's a good book. It's yeah, where our it's, first it's big it's plot solid. twist in the series comes, right? Like the first one, you're like, oh shoot, right? So it's pretty cool, man. But, yeah, I gotta uh, say the visuals in the this is one of the films I actually, yeah, they left out a lot of stuff, which was annoying to me. But at the same time, like I enjoyed this film a lot better than the last two like the visuals were great like i thought the visuals for the time i'll say like if you put the visuals nowadays they could be a lot better but keep in mind this came out what in 2000 and like seven or something like that or no it says uh, 2004 that's what it says on the back of this dvd here i'm you guys can see again like on our our, (laughs) our video here so if you're watching on youtube you can see our setup but uh, I got the the uh, DVD in front of me here, and on the back is us uh, say 2004. So 2004. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Well, good stuff, man. Yeah, I'll let you kick it off from here. We got a lot we gotta dive into today, and it's gonna be a fun episode for you guys. Oh, 100. percent And it's cool because when we were talking before we started this episode, and to to, to kick us off today, I know one of your interesting facts has to do with certain testings that wizards have to go through. <laughs> And that's exactly where I opened up here in chapter 16, Professor Trelawney's prediction. It's like them talking about how much studying like they started to really do. They wanted to enjoy the weather and the outdoors, but they knew some big exams were coming up. Now, for Harry, Ron, and Hermione, they're only going into their third year, so it's just end-of-the-year exams. But for Fred and George, who are two years ahead of them, they're in their fifth year. They're taking their owls, which are called ordinary wizarding levels. And Percy, he's actually taking his newts, which are nastily exhausting wizarding tests. So it, it, what's interesting here and the part that I stuck out to me as a favorite moment is the fact that they said even Fred and George were spotted working in page right here 314. <laughs> so you guys know I, I'd say every single time they're my favorites. Uh, but I, I found it funny because if you, if you think about them, they're the kids that like slacked off, had a lot of fun, never did any work, but everyone loved them anyways and still found a way to pass. <laughs> Now they're like being like, oh shoot, like these are our big, it's like, it's like me for the SATs. Like I was having, I was like the class clown, like always having fun in class. And then when the SATs were on their way over, I was like, great, I have to actually like put some work in because I know these actually matter, right? So I just, I found that as a, one of my favorite moments there. Uh, I, it was, I thought it was funny too, going on to a page afterwards uh, when like they're talking about how uh, they have to do the, what's it called? the appeal for Buckbeak to try to get him off the uh, the execution charge for attacking Draco. <laughs> and, you know, having them say, like, uh, Draco had been, uh, you know, like, sneering comments about uh, how Buckbeak was going to get killed and Hagrid's an idiot and all that fun stuff. And the line that caught me was, it was all Harry could do to stop himself from imitating Hermione and hitting Malfoy in the face on these occasions. Because <laughs> you guys remember, this is the this is the book where Hermione comes around for me. We're like, okay, I like her now because of some of the crazy things she did. She walked down Professor Trelawney. She smacked Draco in the face. And she does something else later on I'm not going to jump ahead to. But, like, so I just thought it was funny that Harry wanted to take a page out of old Hermione's book and give uh, Draco the old one-two in the mouth. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. And um, the last one I'll put here before I turn it over to you is page 317. It's when they start doing their cheering charms during their charms final. I thought it was funny that Harry overdid his so much that Ron had to be put into a quiet room for an hour before he could come out and do his own (laughs) version of the charm. So, like, imagine that. Like, literally, most of the time, any sort of test that you take, 
it really only takes you maybe 45 minutes. This guy had to wait the entirety of the test, had to wait an hour so they could get him back down to a normal state before he could go ahead and attempt his, uh, you know, go at the final there in charm. So thought that was kind of cool. But those are the three I'll start with. I'll turn it over to you. You take you take a couple from here, and we'll keep bouncing back and forth, my brother. Yeah, man, good stuff. Um, I had some of the ones you mentioned, just like you were saying. Of course, one relates to my interesting facts later, so you hit on that one pretty well. Um, one thing that did stand out, though, was kind of a, a, you know, we always talk about foreshadowing moments later, but, you know, Hermione's schedule still you know, nine o'clock, she still had arithmetic and Transfiguration, and one o'clock, Charms and Ancient Ruins. So that's kind of a, you know... A, I put that a, in foreshadowed events. Like, I, I saw it, but I put that more in foreshadowed events more than I put it in favorite moments, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, that's yeah. right. Because I had it foreshadowing, too. So, no, that's good stuff. Um, as far as, of course, uh, I did put, um, you know, Buckbeak's Appeal set for the sixth day. Uh, when they finish their exams so i thought that was just kind of interesting because you know usually when you finish your exams you're all excited because you finally got done and then they have that thrown on them so just kind of you know added to their week um, and the executioner that was actually coming to buckbeat's appeal so you realize you know this definitely isn't going the way they had planned um the uh, before I turn it back over to you, the last big interesting fact that I had that was really cool that I thought. So Lupin's exam was like an obstacle course. I thought that was awesome. And of course at the end was the Bogart. Bogart? How do you say it? Bogart? Bogart, I right? say Bogart. Yeah, I say Bogart, but I might be wrong. I don't know. It just, uh, I think, I think I'm right. Cause like, if you say like foggy with two G's, like, you know, so Bogart, I don't oh, know. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm that's... awful names, man. <laughs> Bogart, Bogart. Um, at the end, uh, Hermione sees it and she sees McGonagall and McGonagall said that she failed everything and she was freaking out. And that was her big fear. Um, so I thought that was hysterical and they were all kind of like laughing at Hermione over it, but I can, I get it. Like if you're. Like, that really is Hermione's biggest fear, is, like, failing courses. So I thought that was a pretty cool, uh, interesting moment there. Dude, 100%. I actually have that one exactly. So I've got one more before that, but I also put the one of Hermione's Bogart. But the one before that I have is, like, I thought it was interesting that Harry couldn't get his confusion concoction to thicken in Snape's potion <laughs> class. And he thinks, he said, uh, Snape scribbled something that looks suspiciously like a zero. So, like, he, like, he might be, you imagine that, like, you did all the work for it. And even if it didn't come out perfectly, like, you'd still maybe, even if you didn't, like, get a great grade, maybe you get, like, a 75 out of 100. Like, you did the majority <laughs> of it, you just couldn't get it to thicken. But Snape's like, nope, zero, baby. You're not nope, getting any nope. points. Uh, it's, it's really funny. And then, obviously, you talked about the <laughs> bogger, so I'll skip over that. Um also, pages 326 through 327, this is, again, this is the part that I told you I didn't want to get ahead of myself. Well, here we are. We're already here. Hermione breaking some more rules. It's my favorite thing when she decides to be, like, a normal kid, like, trying to have fun and, like, realize it's not all about, like, work and nothing else. So, when I say breaking the rules, uh, you know, she she went down and grabbed the invisibility cloak for Harry from behind the one-eyed witch where he left it from where Snape uh, found him coming out of... Uh, 
uh, Hogsmeade. Well, like he like he ran through there to get to Snape's office, and he didn't go back there because he knew Snape had been. He found Harry and Neville near there, so he didn't want to give Snape a reason to check out that place more than necessary. So Hermione's like, you know what? If Snape catches you there, might be some issues. I'm gonna go do it. And I thought it was awesome because if we line up all the great things that she's done in my eyes, of course, right? She's walked out of Professor Treeline's classroom now. She smacked Draco Malfoy in the face. And now she goes down and grabs the invisibility cloak so they can sneak out of the castle and go see Hagrid. Like, Hermione's starting to turn around on me. So, like, that's the issue that I was having when I was telling you about before, bro, with the, the two previous movies. Like, the books themselves were great. The movies were trying to overblow Hermione's character and push her onto me, and I didn't like that. I wanted to like gradually naturally come to enjoy her character and this is the point Mm -hmm. in my childhood where i really did and it wasn't forced where the movies it's like you know they they try to force it on you so that's uh that's one there and then just the last one uh in page 329 hermione finds scabbers at hagrid i didn't know if i wanted to put that as a foreshadowed event but like i think it's a big it's a good like like big moment right it's a significant moment in the book, so I wanted to put it here. Uh, you know, she finds Scabbers behind the milk jug. Uh, and so this is interesting because everyone had thought Crookshanks had eaten him and he was dead. All of a sudden, whoa, Scabbers is still around. And then I've got some interesting questions, you know, in possible plot holes for this part later. But I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you, my dude. Take it from here. Yeah, man. Um, so, I mean, the next kind of big, besides... Uh, I had some of the ones you mentioned, but the next kind of big ones I had, I'll skip over because they're in Professor Trelawney's class, and they're such big foreshadowing moments. Yeah, we'll save them for the foreshadow section. But those really stood out because, oh yeah, very big moments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hundred um, percent. But uh, the next one that stood out is, of course, it didn't really go the way they wanted, and Hagrid sends that note that Buckbeak lost the case, um, and you know there wasn't they really the group didn't have much of a fight at all despite all the research hermione did um and then of course you know buckbeat is done so they execute buckbeat um you know in the film hermione is even like you know like i can't watch and you hear kind of like the ravens going everywhere right um and i still remember when i first watched that like i was just so shocked like because you always kind of get this sense in harry potter up to this film or this book that everything's going to be okay like it's going to come down to the last minute but everything's going to be okay and i think this was until we'll talk about much later what happens right um kind of it definitely was wasn't um season three game of thrones ending but it still was kind of that shocker like wow like the guys lost on this one kind of like that really in avengers infinity war where you're like man like it didn't go the way they wanted so where do we go from here um next one i'll turn it uh right back over to you um so scabbers um this is a little bit foreshadowing not really i didn't think it was that big of a deal to put in foreshadowing but he runs away from crookshanks again and uh you know he's like trying to break free of ron and is like literally like scratching at ron trying to get away from him so that really stood out which plays a big role later so i'll turn it over to you man 
Yeah, so I, the one thing I want to say too is like when you talk about you know the 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 good guys having like their first major loss, it like you know yeah, it's not comparable to these other franchises that we talk about that real real loss sets in. Mm-hmm. But you guys got to remember, this is a children's book. This is a book for like pre-teenagers, right. like you know ages ten through fifteen or whatever, right? So like this is you know it's it's a it's a pretty pretty important moment there especially given the context and the targeted demographic of audience this book is intended for so uh yeah i have uh, exactly what you said scabber is breaking ron's grip and runs and crookshanks running after him uh now uh, this is one i also put here too and uh, this is this is the exact this is also a foreshadow but i it was one of my favorite moments because it was impactful in the fact that we got to see we kept seeing glimpses of this thing but we never saw it like really embodied and interacting with any humans yet. So at, up to this point, it all could have been Harry's imagination with the Grim, right? A lot of people were saying, you see that big black dog, you know, it's a sign, it's a death omen. But here's the thing, only Harry's seen it. Because remember, he, it walked out before the Quidditch final with Crookshanks, and he tried to wake up Ron, but the dog had gone by that time. So only up to this point, Harry's the only one to have seen this dog, right? right. So now, and it's characterized as an enormous pale-eyed jet black dog dragged ron away so now it's interacting now everyone sees it this dog has not been in harry's imagination it exists we're going to figure out the whole deal behind it here shortly but i just wanted to put that out because it was one of my favorite moments of the book and then uh page 335 and then it's then it's your your reign from there is uh, the Whomping Willow beating Harry and Hermione's ass. Like, that's, that's one of my favorite things. Exactly Just what happened. Swinging <laughs> at the fences or trying to run after Ron, and they didn't even know where they were, and they got dome-pieced by the, by the Whomping Willow, baby. But that was it's, uh, awesome. It's on you. Yeah, man. Uh, one thing I did want to say, too, that I uh, forgot to mention, because it's not, like, detail. It's not even important, but... In the film, the executioner's axe of Buckbeat looked awesome. That thing looked intimidating, man. Just like the curved, like medieval axe thing. So I thought that was cool. Um, as far as just uh, kind of piggybacking on what you're talking about with Ron, in the film was kind of cool. Uh, but where I really had an issue with it in the film was when they go into the Whomping Willow. Like, Hermione's, like, riding on one of these tree branches. Like, it's, like, holding them through, and then they get pulled under. Like, it's really awesome when you see who we find out is this big, massive dog that's there. The dog looked really awesome. Um, But then they're, like, riding on the tree. Like, I didn't really understand that. So, the book was epic. In the book, I kind of more imagined it as this dog i don't want to give away any spoilers um for what or who it is anything um but i had imagined it a bigger than it was in the film like i had imagined it like the twilight dogs not to bring up twilight but no you're right though that's exactly what i thought too like the way it's portrayed in the book throughout the book it's an enormous bear-like dog like bear-like like it's like i expected it to be a ginormous like you know huge maybe like thinking about the size like height wise of a great dane but the build of like a rottweiler like yeah. that's what i was yeah. like thinking like a really huge big dog and that's not what we got in the film <laughs> yeah like it was like muscly i guess <laughs> but i just wasn't i thought the visual of it was cool but they needed to make it much bigger <laughs> much yeah. bigger 
Um, I'm with you. Yeah, so that was good stuff. But that that whole scene in the book was absolutely phenomenal. Um, from that point, uh, the big kind of standout moment I have here is when Hermione and Harry find Ron uh, and Crookshanks in the Shrieking Shack when the where the tunnel ends up, and he's there like. They don't even expect him to be there. They know it's going to Hogsmeade, but he's just sitting there in the shrieking shack. We're like, what's going on? And uh, this huge interesting fact here uh, is, I'll, I'll read this because it's such an iconic moment. Um, Where's the dog? Not a dog, Ron moaned. His teeth were gritted with pain. Harry, it's a trap. What? He's the dog. He's an Animangus. <laughs> so that was like huge. And uh, we find out that Sirius Black is this dog we've been seeing the entire time. And finally, the pieces of the puzzle are starting to come together here. And I think a lot of the puzzle here is solved in this shack that we're going to find out. Um, and then, of course, the next big interesting moment I have here, or pretty awesome moment, and then I'll turn it back over to you is Harry is like literally I think this is the one time we've thought Harry is about to do a killing curse like I'm like he might do it like he is this close he was like this was his chance the seconds lengthened and still Harry stood frozen the wand poised black staring up at him crook shanks on his chest Ron's ragged breath coming from near the bed Hermione was quiet and silent and then came a new sound muddled footsteps were echoing through the floor someone was moving downstairs we're up here hermione screamed suddenly we're up here serious black quick and then of course they're going up there and then this is that big moment where lupin comes in and you think like he's there to kind of save them but he shouts expelliarmus and shoots out like harry's wand from his hand and this is that moment where you're like, all the tables just flipped over on us. Like, what is going on? And I'll turn it over to you, man. Yeah, dude. Uh, I have some things, too, right right before all of that happens. I thought it was crazy uh, with, like, Ron's leg snapping when he was trying, when the dog was pulling him through the Whomping Willow. He, like, tried to hook his leg on one of the roots so the dog couldn't pull him down. And, like, then the dog ripped him through and snapped his leg on the on the root so ron's leg was broken right and mm -hmm. uh then i also have crookshanks actually help them enter the whopping willow by pressing the knot that freezes the tree that's a cool thing too because now we can all we know a little bit more of how the whopping willow works it's not like if you touch that it's like docile it's like a normal tree so that was really really impactful and then uh yeah i have to say i have serious disarming harry and hermione with ron's wand and you know, then Sirius brings up Harry's dad, and Harry loses it. He attacks him with no wand. Straight up, this guy's got three wands in his hand. And Harry grabs the wrist and just, boom. Like, it even says, he like his knuckles collided with the side of Sirius Black's head. <laughs> like, he punched him at 13 years old, trying to fight a grown man without... Like, he's unarmed, and this guy's, like, supposedly a convicted murderer... He's got, because at this point in time, this is what we know, right? So Harry just went after this convicted murderer that has got three magical wands in his hand. He's supposed to be very talented. Remember, like, they characterized him and James as, like, the cleverest in the class because they were so good at magic, right? 
So like he's attacking this grown man with no with no magic at all, just his two hands, and he actually gets the better of him and wrestles <laughs> his uh, wrestles his wand out, and that's the the part where you were talking the whole quote with Harry and Harry. I just what I wrote down the long and short of that was Harry couldn't bring himself to kill Sirius, which is great because it kind of shows you the character of who he is as a person, no matter if like he might have deserved it given the circumstances that we know at that time. Like hey, he still he still couldn't kill, you know, he's, it's not in him, you know, if it was like Draco Malfoy, or if it was any sort of other student that had any sort of malice or hate in them, who knows, maybe they would have killed yeah. this, this man, right, so, um, then, uh, that, page 343 is when Professor Lupin arrives, and I thought this was a really important moment, because, like, he, what it says, it, it characterizes it, he says, Lupin embraced Sirius like a brother. So first he's like, where is he? And he looked at Sirius, and Sirius pointed at Ron. And like, no one knows what's going on at this point in time. Like, like why did Lupin take Harry's wand? Why is he not trying to, like, like capture Sirius Black? Well, what's going on? And then once he shows him what it is, and he says the words. Here, I'll actually read it, because I got, I got the book here. Because this is one of the biggest moments right before everything kind of goes down. He goes... But then, Lupin muttered, staring at Black so intently he seemed he was trying to read his mind. Why hasn't he shown himself before now? Unless, Lupin's eyes suddenly widened as though he was seeing something beyond Black, something none the rest of us could see. Unless he was the one. Unless you switched without telling me. And then said very slowly, a sunken gaze never leaving Lupin's face, Black nodded. So... Now we're starting to, like, like we're confused as readers because, we're like, what is he talking about? What does he mean he's the one? Sirius pointed at Ron. Like, what is the whole deal here? Mm-hmm. And last thing I have before, uh, before you, you'll take over is that uh, Hermione has known about Professor Lupin being a werewolf. She found out a long time ago. And, like, remember when she scoffed when Ron's like, wow, he's often sick. And she's like, well, it's obvious, isn't it? And then he's like, well, if you're so smart, why don't you just tell us? And then she just ran off because they were fighting with each other about Crookshank and Scabbers at the time. So Hermione's known probably since mid-year that Professor Lupin's been a werewolf and she's been covering from him and now she feels dumb because in her mind, he's been helping Sirius Black and they're trying to harm Harry, one of her closest friends. So take it away, my man. It's uh, it's you from here. Yeah, man. Uh, just kind of jumping right off what you said. Uh this is kind of like that shocking quote uh not at all up to your usual standard hermione she said only one out of the three i'm afraid i have not been helping sirius get into the castle and i certainly don't want harry dead an odd shiver passed over his face but i won't deny that i am a werewolf and uh, if you stick with us for our interesting facts, I actually did go to Pottermore.com and get the backstory on how Lupin uh, got bit as a child. And it is a very wild story. That is really cool. So I'll tell you all that in our interesting facts section. So if you stay tuned, stay tuned after this. Um, <laughs> but uh, then uh, one thing I did that did really stand out, it was Lupin... Uh, confirmed with Hermione that Snape assigned that essay because she was saying, you know, Snape assigned us an essay. So I was that's how I figured it out. And he was like, yeah, he assigned that essay to see if you would pick up on it. 
Um, so Snape's kind of been like that sly dog this whole time because um, of this grudge he's had. Um, and then uh, the other shocker here is Lupin tells Hermione, Harry, and Ron that the entire staff has known this entire time that he's a werewolf. So, like, you're not... He's not keeping anything from anybody. Like, they're trying to use this as this big blackmail, I got one on you. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Everyone already knows this. <laughs> Y'all are just the slow ones. Um, and then, of course, Lupin uh, tells Harry that he was able to find Sirius with the Marauder's map that they have, which is a, a big moment there. And um, he tells him that it was just in his office and he was examining it and that's how he found him there. So I'll let you take it over from here. Awesome. So the next thing I have, I, I thought, you know, on page 346, hand, like Lupin, Professor Lupin handled the situation very well considering because... Remember, he had just disarmed Harry. Like, like now that he's like hugging Sirius. Now all of the like the, the what you call them, the Colton trio, they're kind of at a loss of what to do. They have no weapons. They've got two adult, really trained wizards, like seemingly against them. So what Lupin does, he's like, here, just just listen to us. He actually puts his own wand away and gives Harry, <laughs> Ron, and Hermione their wands back, which is awesome. Like, yeah. there's no better way to put someone at a calm ease than to like show like here, like. I'm not armed. You guys are. Please hear us out because you're going to need to know what's happened. And like this, anytime Lupin's in anything, he always just seems like the cool head and he knows what to do and how to handle situations. So I always really appreciated that about Remus Lupin. <laughs> um, <laughs> and on page 347, uh, they start talking about, you know, how they knew each other from... Uh, school and like what you were talking about the Marauders map he said you know of, Harry asked him you know how to work it and Lupin replied of course I know how to work it I helped write it I'm Mooney that was my friend's nickname for me at school so and then he said you know you might have been wearing your father's old cloak going down there thing so right there we get a huge revelation full circle moment we know who the makers of the well at least one of them right now who the makers of the Marauders map were thought that was really cool uh, then we go down to uh Page 349, and this <laughs> this is my favorite part right here. Where is it? Sirius just tried to kill Peter Pettigrew right then and there. Like, he's super real. Like, he's the realest dude in the world. Like, he didn't want any sort of exclamation. He didn't want to talk at all. He was just ready to, ready to go. So, I thought that was awesome. And then, obviously, at page 348... This is more of a, this is a full circle moment, not a foreshadow moment, but I wanted to bring it up here because big impact, we find out that Scabbers the whole time was Peter Pettigrew, right? So he, this is the exact quotes going down here. Lupin moved closer to Ron. He seemed to be holding his breath as he gazed intently at Scabbers. What? Ron said again, holding Scabbers close to him, looking scared. What's my rat got to do with anything? That's not a rat, croaked Sirius Black suddenly. What do you mean? Of course he's a rat. No, he's not, Lupin said quietly. He's a wizard. And Sirius Black replies, an animagus by the name of Peter Pettigrew. So, and that's page 349. That's where, that's where I said that Sirius Black tried to 
kill Peter Pettigrew right in there. <laughs> it says, as yeah. Crookshanks was thrown to the floor, Black lunged at Scabbers. Ron yelled with pain as Black's weight fell off his broken leg. Serious no, Lupin yelled, launching himself forwards, dragging Black away. Wait, you can't just do it like that. They need to understand. We've got to explain. He says, we can explain afterwards. Like, he really wanted to kill Peter Pettigrew just <laughs> like that. Like, he wanted no words, nothing to do with it. He just wanted to get the dirty work over with and move on with their lives because he's been waiting 12 years to do this as we're about to find out and uh you will go ahead and wait there's one more that i need to put here and then i'll, I'll turn it over to you page 351 hermione ever the brightest student ever she goes uh because you know she tells professor lupin professor lupin scabbers can't be pettigrew it just can't be true and you know it can't and lupin replies why can't it be true he says calmly as though they were in class and Hermione simply spotted a problem in an experiment with Grindylows. <laughs> Hermione continues, because, because people would know if Peter Pettigrew had been an animagus. We did animagi in class with Professor McGonagall, and I looked them up when I did my homework with the Ministry of Magic. They keep tabs on witches and wizards who can become animals. There is a register showing what animal they become, their markings, and things. And I went and looked at Professor McGonagall up on the register, and there have only been seven animagi this century, and Peter Pettigrew's name wasn't on the list. So this is another big moment that's going to come up here too, uh, animagus that aren't on the list. But I just thought that was really, really cool that Hermione always just seems to like be really like book smart no matter what the situation is. Like she's not really good under pressure like in how to act and stuff, but like. Her brain still processes stuff that she learned in class when there's a convicted murderer in the room and a teacher that you don't know if is on your side or not. So I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, take her away. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's great stuff. Um, kind of what I'll bring up here is, you know, we, as far as like Mooney goes, right? Let's just think about that for a minute with the moon and, and Lupin. So... And we're going to talk about these names eventually as we kind of progress here and how those relate. Um, but just think about that for a minute. His nickname was Mooney. And what happens when the full moon is out? Exactly. Um, so uh, coming up here, you know, Lupin tells Hermione because, you know, just feeding off what you were saying. Remember, Hermione thinks she's like the smartest girl in the world because she is. You know, Lupin even basically is like you know you're the smartest witch i've ever known hermione he says at one point but he was saying uh you know you've definitely done your homework hermione but you're not accounting for the three unregistered animagi uh which i guess that's how you say it animagi right is that yeah it? i mean that's what i say i don't i don't know animagi yeah <laughs> something like that yeah um and then uh one thing that really stood out to me was we've always heard these rumors on and on that the shrieking shack was haunted and lupin tells ron the shrieking shack was never haunted uh he goes no one there this place is haunted said ron it's not said lupin still looking at the door in a puzzled way the shrieking shack was never haunted the screams and howls the villagers heard used to hear were by me so as he was like changing into the werewolf at least that's what i imagined that's why they were hearing all the howls um yep and uh that's when uh lupin tells hermione ron and harry which will really go into our interesting facts later 
uh, that when he was a boy, uh, he was bitten. Um, and so you're, you know, that's really something. It really kind of hits you as the audience. Like you kind of get this turn at a moment, I guess, at least I did, of, okay, maybe that's not his fault. Like if he's a werewolf, like it's not like he's just out to kill people. And um, uh, so he verifies that. And he also says, you know, Snape, that it is true, is verifies it. What we were talking about, that Wolfsbane potion is what Snape's been making all along uh, to help him kind of control this, uh, I don't want to say disease, but like this transformation. What would you call it? I'd say the transformation helps him control the transformation a little bit. Like he still becomes a wolf. But, like, he keeps his mind. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, this was really cool, actually. I do want to uh, read this part because he was saying, like, how he manages with it, just like you're saying. He said, I am able to curl up in my office, a harmless wolf, and wait for the moon to wane again. Uh, before the Wolfsbane potion was discovered, however, I became a fully-fledged monster once a month. It seemed impossible that I would be able to come to Hogwarts. Um, Other parents weren't likely to want their children exposed to me. Um, And it just kind of resonated with me. I would, honestly, I feel really bad for him. Like, it's not something he wants to ever deal with. But could you imagine that? Like, once a month, like, you're having to curl inside your office because you're like, potentially, I could break out of this shit. I'm going to feel absolutely awful. Like, I got the damn flu for days afterwards. I'm going to have scars all over me. And there's a potential I could go kill everybody. So they'll hate me for it. So once a month, you're having to board yourself up in basically an insane asylum inside your own home to deal with this so I was, that's that moment where i was like man like that really sucks like i feel really bad for him but uh on that note man i'll turn it back over to you so to piggyback off what you're saying there and this isn't anything i wrote down like let's just keep that in mind because you brought up something really interesting there S- professor snape makes that wolf Bane's potion for professor lupin but remember professor lupin saying there's not many wizards who are up to making it like it's a challenging potion to make so majority of this guy's life he doesn't have access to someone who's as great of a potion maker as Severus Snape. So mm-hmm. throughout his whole entire life, he's been having to deal with being a monster pretty much every single full moon, once a month, right? So I just I think that even goes to show even like just how sad his story really is. Like he, he we learned that he like they didn't want him to come to school. He can't find paid work because of what he is. Like you know, and on top of that, his own social life on his own. He's got to worry about what he's got to do once a month because there's no one there. Unless he goes to an apothecary, maybe some people sell it. I don't know. I guess I got to assume. <laughs> but, he's, but he's got no money, remember? Because no one can hire him for paid work. So, like, yeah, who really knows? So I just wanted to just preface that because I think that's a really good point that you brought up there. Um, also, page 354, we learn that uh, Sirius and James were the cleverest students in school. And it took them the best part of three years to work out how to become Animagi. And in their fifth year, they managed it. That's awesome. Like, like think about putting together an ultimate witch or wizard would kind of be like Sirius Black and James Potter because they're as smart as Hermione, it seems like, for the most part. Everyone, because like, they're not the only ones. Lupin's not the only one that said that. I remember Professor McGonagall and Cornelius Fudge were talking about it in the Three Broomsticks, how they were the clever, like, way too clever for their own good, right? 
So, like, mm-hmm. they've got the brains of, like, Hermione with, like, the bravery of Harry, but, like, they also knew where they came from and they weren't unsure of themselves. Like, where Harry's, like, was raised by muggles, James and Sirius were raised by wizards. So, like, they had confidence, they had ability, they had talent, and they had intelligence. So, these guys must have been badass wizards in their heyday, right. man. I mean, they had to be for, like, James Potter to try to take Voldemort on one-on-one to save his family. But I just thought that was really cool to bring up. Uh, this is the part. Remember when I said I hope, you know, a couple weeks ago that uh, I remember from this page? I actually did. I made a note to make sure I brought this up now. So on page 356, this is what Lupin says. Let me find it for us. All this year, I've been battling with myself, wondering whether I should tell Dumbledore that Sirius was an animagus. But I didn't do it. Why? Because I was too cowardly. It would have meant admitting that I'd betrayed his trust while at school and admitting I'd led others along with me. So why I brought that up is because if we go back, guys, to page 154, way back in the book here, this is something that I brought up with when they were talking about... Uh, Harry was trying to think about how he can stop the Dementor's effects on him, and Lupin starts, you know, telling him a little bit about what he can help out with. Remember, I here's the here's the passage. He thought of telling Lupin about the dog he'd seen in Magnolia Crescent, but decided not to. So if Harry at that point in time told Professor Lupin about the dog he had seen in Magnolia Crescent, right there back on page page one fifty four, if he goes if he just says, Professor Lupin, like you know, I've been seeing this huge black dog. Like, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I don't know if it's a death omen or what. Like, I'm kind of nervous about it. You know, if you just was honest and said that to Professor Lupin, mm-hmm. does Professor Lupin at that point in time, because in everyone's mind, remember back then, they think Sirius is out to kill Harry. So at yeah. that point, do you think that would have tipped the scales to Lupin being like, you know what, I've got to tell Dumbledore. It doesn't matter how, like, good of friends I was with Sirius and, like, you know, our past or whatever. If Harry, if these guys after Harry and Harry's been seeing a big black dog... I know what that is. I need to tell Dumbledore. And, like, how could that have changed the story? Like, if he had... If Harry told Lupin, Lupin told Dumbledore, now they're on the lookout, for not just for, like, Sirius himself, but for a big black dog, and maybe a lot of these events can never take place because they know where to look for Sirius. Maybe he gets captured. Does that kind of make sense? Makes a 100% sense because initial thought, you would think, uh, Lupin would kind of go tell Sirius first but people forget you know he found Sirius because he was on the map so you got to think Lupin might have even kind of had these thoughts first um, before you know he even noticed you know uh, what was going on with Peter Pettigrew right Um, I would say he probably I think he would if he didn't notice if he didn't, I think what he probably would have done was done his own research because Lupin's that kind of guy to take, look at every option necessary. And if he couldn't have discovered what he winds up doing uh, with Pettigrew, then I think he would have told Dumbledore because I think he cared about Harry that much. Um, you know, keep in mind, you know, this is the guy he was training all along to prevent the Dementors. Um, I mean, I think he cared about Harry that much where he would have been like, I mean, keep in mind, he's cared about students so much this entire time. Do you realize how easy it would have been for him to kind of, I mean, I don't want to say easy because I guess there are like, 
uh, evidence that he is a werewolf. But say like that interview with Dumbledore, it's not like he had to just come out and say, I'm a werewolf. But no, he chose to tell the entire staff. He didn't have to tell the entire staff. So I think if it was a situation of safety, I think he would have done it. Because I think he's that kind of person. I think so too. I think he would have told Dumbledore, even without doing any sort of research. Because you guys got to remember, at this point in time, everyone is under the same assumption that Sirius Black murdered Peter Pettigrew and he's on the run from Azkaban looking for Harry to kill Harry. So armed with that knowledge, then Harry tells him, hey, Professor Lupin, you know, I've been seeing a big black dog, you know, periodically. All of a sudden, Lupin's like, I've got, you know, it's, it's there's there's nothing else I can do. I gotta tell him. Like, I, because, like, the thing was, he wasn't even trying to protect Sirius. He was trying to protect himself. Because remember, he's like, it'd be admitting that we lied to Dumbledore and Dumbledore was the only person that ever gave me a chance. Like, he allowed, he, I'm, I'm the only, like, he's the only headmaster that would let me to come to the school. He's the only person that would give me paid work. So, like, it wasn't like he was trying to protect Sirius. He was trying to protect himself by, like, not admitting to Dumbledore that, like, they did stuff under his nose that was, like, you know, breaking the rules. So, yep. I think he for sure tells him. But we'll move on from that because, like, that could have changed the whole story from there, honestly, right? Yeah. Just a small little butterfly good. effect, I like mm-hmm. to call it, right? And then, <laughs> um, you know, page 357, because remember, you know, the, and I, I saved part of this for foreshadowed events. But they had that weird noise in the door opening, and that's when Ron talks about it being like haunted. Well, in page 57, we understand what that creak was in the door opening, because your boy Severus Snape appears as he casts aside the invisibility cloak as they go into the story about how, uh, like, that, that whole story of when they were going to kill Snape, or what could have got Snape killed, and James, at the last second, figured out what they were doing and, like, like saved him, right? So... All of a sudden, like, I'm going to turn it over to you right now because I know you like to talk about your boy Severus. So he just pulls off that invisibility cloak that they left behind when the dog attacked them. And uh, he's there with his wand and took them all by surprise. Good stuff, my man. Uh, just a couple things and then I'll catch up to that. And, you know, I love the love the Snapester. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sly Snake. Um, just a couple things. So Lupin confirms with Hermione that actually the Whomping Willow was created for him. So I wanted to bring that up because that's definitely a big moment. And going to Snape here, it even goes back to when we were talking about Chamber of Secrets. Remember when he was bringing up to the boys when they came in on that car? You know, it's been planted since this moment. And Lupin says it was planted for him because it was designed so the students couldn't get past it. So when he would go under the Whomping Willow and he was changed into this massive werewolf, he wouldn't kill anybody which is going into our snape story uh in a moment actually uh but i thought that was that was really cool because you're starting to find out about this stuff and the fact that the shrieking shack uh the rumors dumbledore encouraged it because it kind of gave him like a place to hide like to be on his own during this moment um so kind of coming full circle there but one thing that really stood out when lupin was saying all this stuff was it's painful to turn into a werewolf which is something you don't think about like think of how painful that would be bones breaking you know your nose is like think about like your teeth like how bad it hurts when you get braces like imagine all your teeth changing and pushing forward out your nose uh and then i imagine kind of like van helsing when i was reading it remember like if you've seen the van helsing movie 
they really do a good job of like the flesh ripping off like they're peeling out their skin so i kind of like imagined that and i was like man like people really aren't thinking from lupin's point of view like i feel bad for this guy like what a terrible <laughs> what a terrible uh once a month cycle <laughs> you have there i would say with the moon man uh and this is when we kind of get into uh you know just like you said our boy my boy the snapester the snakester <laughs> comes up from here um and then so he when he pulls off that invisibility cloak uh that's when snape is like telling lupin that he's going to tell dumbledore and everything about it uh and he goes i love his quote here so i do want to read this he goes two more for Azkaban tonight <laughs> like he is thrilled <laughs> he gets catches lupin in the act here which he's really hated all along anyways and he gets the reward for catching the murderer madman that's on the loose i shall be interested to see how dumbledore takes this he was quite convinced you were harmless you know lupin a tame werewolf naughty naughty <laughs> the naughty's not in there <laughs> you fool <laughs> said lupin softly it's a schoolboy grudge is that worth putting an innocent man back in azkaban and then that's when bang this is really cool what snape does here he shoots out at the end of his wand like all those ropes and it goes over lupin's mouth so he can't talk like, what a complete tool. Like, won't even hear this guy's side of the story. Like, shut your mouth. <laughs> you shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> all the ropes go, mm. <laughs> can't even talk at all. Uh, so, this is when they go into that whole back and forth, right? And Miss Granger, you know, Hermione Granger is, like, trying to stick up for Lupin and Sirius to be like, you know, you got to hear their side of the story. He goes, Miss Granger... You are already facing suspicion, suspension from school, a Snape spat. You Potter and Weasley are out of bounds in the company of a convicted murderer, murderer and werewolf. For once in your life, hold your tongue. But if, if, if it was a mistake, keep quiet, you stupid girl, Snape shouted, looking suddenly quite deranged. Don't talk about what you don't understand. <laughs> like, I feel so bad for Hermione because no matter what she ever does to get on Snape's good side, Snape doesn't give an F. Like, does not at all. Uh, a few sparks shot out at the end of the wand, which was still pointed at Black's face. Like, you're gonna, don't you come any closer because I swear it. Oh, and here's the best part. It's exactly what I usually say in fantasy football, even though we talk, don't talk about this on the show. If I wind up losing and win the next week, vengeance is sweet. <laughs> Snape breathed at Black. How I hoped I would be the one to catch you. The joke's on you again, Severus. Black snarled. As long as this boy's, uh, as long as this boy brings his rat up to the castle, he jerked his head at Ron. I'll come quietly. Up to the castle? said Snape sickly. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't think we need to go that far. All I have to do is call the Dementors. Once we get out of the willow, and they'll be very pleased to see you, Black. Pleased enough to, uh, 
give you a little kiss, I dare say. What little color there was in Black's face left it. Like, do you know how terrified you'd be? Like, what the hell is this guy going to do? You, you've you got to hear me out, he croaked. The rat looked at, uh, the rat looked around. But there was an amid glint in Snape's eyes that Harry had never seen before. He seemed beyond reason. Come on, all of you. He clicked his fingers. And the end of the cords that, the bound, that bound Lupin flew in his hands. I'll drag the werewolf myself. Perhaps the Dementors will have a kiss for him too. <laughs> Before he knew what he was doing, Harry had crossed the room in three strides and blocked the door. Get out of the way, Potter. You're in enough trouble already, snarled Snape. If I hadn't been there to save your skin, Professor Lupin could have killed me. About a hundred times this year, Harry said. I've been alone with him loads of times, having the defense lessons against the Dementors. If he was helping Black, why didn't he just finish me off then? Don't ask me to fathom a way a werewolf mind works, his name. Get out of the way, Potter. You're pathetic. This is what I'm like. Okay, Harry, like you're 13. Stop trying to stand up to an adult wizard that had to go through a whole lot of shit to get one of the top jobs at Hogwarts, I doubt you could take him on alone. Even though you're always trying to be the noble, brave guy. Alright. You're pathetic, Harry yelled. Just because they made a fool of you at school, you won't even listen. And I love this. It reminded me of Mufasa with little Simba. Silence! <laughs> you shut your mouth when you're talking to me! <laughs> shut it! I will not be spoken to like that, Snape shrieked. Looking madder than ever, like father, like son, Potter. I have just saved your neck. You should be thanking me. And like my girl always says, on bended knee. <laughs> you bend the knee before me, you 13-year-old. <laughs> you would have been well served if he killed you. You have been, you have died. You would have died like your father too. Arrogant to believe it might be mistaken in black. Now get out of the way, or I will make you. Get out of the way, Potter. Harry made up his mind in a split second. Before Snape could take even the step toward him, he raised his wand and shouted, Expelliarmus! And he yelled, except that wasn't only the voice that, uh, that he heard. There was a blast that made the door rattle on its hinges. Snape was lifted off his feet and slammed into the wall, then slid down onto the floor, a trickle of blood oozing from under his hair. He had been knocked out. Harry looked around. Both Ron and Hermione had tried to disarm Snape at the exact same moment. Snape's wand soared into a high arc and landed on the bed next to Crookshanks. Which is like, wow. Like... I'm really surprised at Hermione. <laughs> She's definitely uh, taking a turn this year, stepping up for herself. So that was really cool. I do got to say in the film, it was really cool because it wasn't like in the book. Like he like shot onto the bed or something. But I like the book version better because they completely cut out like Ron and Hermione like saving the day. But I do got to say this for some reason. To me, the only good acting Daniel Radcliffe ever does is when he's, like, shouting spells. Like, that's the only time it makes sense. Expectro 
Patronum or Expelliarmus. Like that's the only time his acting is ever good. Otherwise, he's gonna go cry at Hogsmeade. <laughs> it just makes no sense. But uh, I gotta say, this this scene was absolutely amazing. And Snape, I think this is the most tool he has ever been in his life at this point. So, and on that note, I'll turn it back over to you, my man. Dude, uh, yeah, I just, you know, to sum up what I have there, I just I thought it was crazy. All three of them blasted Snape with a disarming charm, knocking him clean out. Like, like students just attacked a teacher. Like, attacked him. Like, he's like he's unconscious. They said there was, like, blood trickling out of his, like, lip. Like, he, they just attacked a teacher. Um, but then, like, right afterwards, in page 362, we actually finally get this cool full circle moment where we learn exactly how Sirius Black came to find out Peter Bettigrew was alive and where he was, right? Mm -hmm. So, to just paint the story here, Sirius Black was in Azkaban, Cornelius Fudge was doing his rounds, making sure everything was running of order there in Azkaban, Sirius Black asks Cornelius Fudge for his copy of the Daily Prophet, gives him it, in that page of the Daily Prophet, there's the whole Weasley family in, in Egypt, because remember they won that money in the very beginning of the, of the book. And on Ron's shoulder was Scabbers. And the thing that they noticed was on, on Scabbers, there was a toe missing. And if you guys remember, you know, way back in like, that conversation they had in Hogsmeade and Three Broomsticks with Fudge, McGonagall, Flitwick, Hagrid, and Rose Merida, they said the biggest thing they ever found of Peter Pettigrew was his finger. Mm-hmm. So... Now, like, he's, even seriously, like I said, I've seen him transform so many times. I could spot that right anywhere. And then, like, the, the, the finger missing was just, like, the icing on the cake. So now we know why he's been saying he's at Hogwarts. He wasn't referring to Harry. He's referring to, to uh, Scabbers or Peter Pettigrew, I guess I should say, right? So, uh, yeah, he like, basically, we learned that what ended up happening is Peter Pettigrew cut off his finger and destroyed the street with his wand behind his back and transformed into the rat and left Sirius to take the fall for him. So, which is kind of like, everyone talks about, when they talk about Peter Pettigrew growing up in school, to me, he seems someone that's like very similar to Neville Longbottom. Not very talented, like just like kind of like a, like a clumsy kid, just has really cool friends though that kind of help get him out of trouble when necessary. So, like, that's the kind of thing I think of. Like, the fact that this guy was able to outsmart Sirius Black and blow up the street with the wand behind his back and, like, cut his finger off and scurry away, like, that, that's, that was pretty sneaky. I'll give, I'll give Peter Pettigrew his, his moment in time there. That was one heck of a thought process, like, at the very, uh, like, he had to make that split-section decision, and he, it, got, it got him away for 12 years, man. That's, uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, raise my hand on that one uh i'm not to interrupt you it's cool i ask you a question about that yeah i feel like i don't know if that's as much as sneaky as you think because serious black is not he's not dumb like he's probably one of the smartest wizards out there besides dumbledore and i know you agree with me because this is your boy this is your boy you know (laughs) mine snape yours is serious funny how they both have the S's, just one's a snake, <laughs> really, but got good intentions. We'll talk about later, much later on down the road. But um, I think it's more because Sirius actually trusted him. 
I mean, they, they grew up together and making the Marauders map and got close. Like, I don't think he ever thought uh, Peter Pettigrew was going to turn on him. I'm sure he probably considered it at some point. Going well, no, the- at, that, at that point he knew because, like, this is this is getting ahead of us by just a couple pages. Right. But just to answer, like, your question there, remember, like, Sirius cornered Peter Pettigrew after what happened at the Potters, meaning right. he already yeah. knew because remember what Peter Pettigrew was to the Potters and the only way that Voldemort could have found the Potters is if those events occurred and like someone said something, right? I don't want to get ahead of it, but right. so yeah. in Sirius cornered Peter Pettigrew, he already knew he betrayed him. He already mm-hmm. knew that that was it. So like, like he was there to actually really, he was there to kill Peter Pettigrew, <laughs> but like, uh, <laughs> because he, because he knew what ended up happening. And then Peter Pettigrew, like, quick thinking he's like shoot Sirius found me I got to figure out what the heck I'm gonna do here because I know what's about to happen and so that's my answer to that is like he didn't trust him because he knew like in order for Voldemort to have found the Potters he knew that there was a spy and he knew exactly who it was because he initiated that switch remember he's the one that told James hey they'll never ever expect this Voldemort will never expect that we do this pick him and then they did, and then that happened, and Sirius is like, okay, I'm going to go I'm gonna go kill this kid. <laughs> so. I just think Peter Pettigrew, I don't think he's as much as smart as people think. I think No, I, just... dude, how can you not be smart, though? I mean, like, you escaped people knowing you were alive for 12 years. And, I mean, like, you I, stayed... Yeah, but And you stayed within time, the wizarding world, too. He's been practicing that for years. That's still... But still, think about that. There's only seven Animagus people that are registered, and there's three that are unregistered, and he's one of ten people in the world that can do it. One of ten people is pretty impressive, regardless if you're as good as your friends or not. Like, that's still better than everybody else. <laughs> like, all right. I'm summoning the great debate card on this All one. right. Let's do it. Summon the great debate card. We haven't let's used do it. one of those in a minute. It's been um, a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Malice in the chalice before we get this started. Because I'm going to back this up with facts, too. Do it. You know, you're usually the fat guy. Yeah, the fact guy. Not the fat guy. Josh is actually <laughs> very skinny. <laughs> you can see all the video. Um, <laughs> here's my point. I feel like Peter Pettigrew is the guy at the club that is like gets really close to you. This is what Peter Pettigrew did in this moment. Not that he's so damn smart. No, he's, in my opinion, I think he's an idiot, especially for what he does later on in the books, which we won't talk about now. But here's who he is. He's the guy you get close around, and we're going to talk about in a minute that comes up, begging like a bitch (laughs) that we're going to talk about, because that's exactly what he does, pleading for mercy. He's not smart. He's that guy that you're at the club, and you bring your girl there, and you go to the bathroom, and he's like, hey, babe. And then you come back, he's like, oh, yeah, I was just, you know, making sure I got us all some drinks. Yeah. You're like, what? Like, okay. He's that guy that has no loyalty. He will sell your ass out. If you rob a bank with him, be prepared to be sold out. There was no smarts whatsoever, in my opinion, because here's why. He had been transforming into an Animagus because he was close to these guys for years. Hence invented the Marauder's Map. So it's what you've become known to do because you're having to practice it once a month because you're doing this with uh, Lupin because he has to go through this cycle once a month. And I feel like, I don't know, because there's no book facts on this part, 
That's probably the only damn friends he had because he probably sold out everyone in his freaking life. So he had those three and every month they were doing that. So he got used to doing that. So when he, I think what it came down to was Voldemort probably cornered him at some point to get on the inside. And he was like, I will kill you if you don't do this. And he begged and pleaded like a bitch. And the last thing he could resort to when he blew up that fucking sewer crater thing to make, you know, expose, you know, get rid of the evidence. He scurried off and turned into scabbers and didn't want to come out of hiding. So he did that. That wasn't smart. You went back to being an animagus because it's what you knew. And Sirius knew that's what you were doing. But at the same time, all these other people are like, oh, that's so genius because you were able to scurry away this way and you made it look like that. No, you were just a little bitch. Decided to blow up the scene so you could run away. Not to mention, we have some evidence coming up later on where you're begging and pleading, begging for mercy. Please forgive me. I don't know what I'm doing. That's exactly what he was doing. He is not smart. I haven't researched anything where it's seen that any professor in any of the books which we've read all the books seen all the films has praised him one time besides they said fudge said being a hero mcgonagall rose Murta, hagrid none of them ever talked about him being smart at all never You're are you done story. are uh, you yeah. done over there because yeah. literally you just helped prove my point like I just because you it. you practice something and get good at it doesn't mean it's not doesn't take talent to do it. You still have to be good enough to do it in the first place. Here's the thing, like that's a very very smart way okay. to do. Like what is his alternatives? It's either I figure a way to get out of the situation or I'm going to be killed or I'm going to go to Azkaban. There's like there's three options really. So like one of them, you're dead. You can't do anything else after that. That's it. So that's off the table. Number two, do you really want to go to Azkaban and spend the time with the Dementors in there and like become a shell of yourself or have them suck your soul out? That's not a great option either. So number three, what can I do in this split second that I have in my arsenal to get away and somehow make the best out of the situation? That's exactly what he did. That's terribly smart. That's very, very smart. You are faced with like a gun to your head and he figured out a way to get that gun away from his head and put it actually pointed right back at Sirius. Locked up an innocent man who's talented, who's a brave guy who everybody loved, and they made him look like he was the one that Voldemort was supporting. That's fucking genius. That is very, very intelligent. Like, are you kidding me? And he even had the smarts to say, you betrayed them. You killed them. He said that for everyone to hear. That was a genius move. It doesn't matter if you don't care if you think he's look like a bitch or whatever, like because he was a rat and like he like like sold out his friends. That doesn't mean he's not smart. He was terribly smart about it. It was intelligent as fuck. Like that's a really really intelligent move to do. I'm gonna call it to the street. Serious, you betrayed your friends. How could you? Then I'm going to blow up the street behind my back, cut off my finger, and scurry away to make it look like you killed me and everyone else around, and you've got to take the fall for me, something I did. Like, that's a genius freaking move. And then on top of that, he stays a rat his entire life up until this point it's to stay in the wizarding world so he knows what's going to happen. Not to mention, he ends up, you know, to foreshadow, going back to you-know-who, actually you-know-who, like, and, and ends up bringing his ass back to, like, you know what I mean? Like, not to get way too far ahead. 
This guy, is, okay. yeah, he's got more survival instincts and intelligence that anyone can give him credit for. Just because you thought he was dumb, like, like he's not book smart. Okay, well, he's certainly street smart. He stayed alive this entire time. Is that better wizards than him. A hundred percent. Survival <laughs> is street smart. Like, if you have a survival instinct. That you are smart enough to stay alive. <laughs> like, that's he was it. a like, rat for 20 years. Not to mention he is a rat. But I, I will give you this. The fact that he can learn the Animagus spell. Because only the top can do that. But how much of that was like Sirius and all of them like, trying to teach that to them? Because Sirius is one of the smartest people out there. And I know James was. Like How much of that was them trying to teach him how to do that? Or was that just him running away being a bitch? Now, I'll give you this, right? The fact that he cut off his finger was pretty genius. Because I don't think an explosion would just blow off one finger. So, I gotta give it to you on that. I, I just wonder how much of that was... Here's my argument to it. I agree he had to have some sort of book smart. I just wonder how much of that was instinct. Now, given if you're bringing up stuff like this for what we'll talk about going into the next book we go into at some point you know weeks from now um i would say possibly but that still adds to his bitchiness i wouldn't i wouldn't trust him as far as i could see him well no one does like that's that's not the question the question isn't is he like a loyal man it's like just because you're unloyal doesn't mean you're not smart like intelligence is is graded in a bunch of different ways like just because someone can't take a math test maybe fails math they might be able to build a house you know what i mean like who knows like intelligence is graded in different scales for different people so okay i have to agree with you there so intelligence is graded at different scales it maybe I I bet you it's probably because I'm more biased to hate this character. For sure, it's 100 percent your bias. <laughs> what he does, how can you defend? And like, what? Here's my issue too. Was like what you were saying when he was like, he did that, he did this, he did that. When he was saying that, which we'll get into in just a second, because that part really stood out to my ass. All that shit's been on the news. It's been a fucking daily profit everywhere. Anyone could have read that. Now, it's got to have some sort of smart to actually read the daily profit and know what's going on, especially when you're a rat. Dude, he's kept it. He's this, but I will kick in my pride. You have won your case. Just let me just also let me do this as well. Like, but. I want to add this point to it as well. To the fact that he was able to stay in the know with the wizarding world underneath everybody's nose without anyone knowing what he was for that long. Like being able to maintain your anonymity, like living in the wizarding world, living in a wizard's bed, like like literally like he was their pet for 12 years. Like like he did such a great job of you know, most people would get bored or like I can't take this anymore. No, he played his role to the very very bitter end where they finally forced him to come out. Like that takes a lot of conviction. Like whether you like him or not, like I'm not saying I like him. I'm not praising him for like being a likable character. Like yeah, I hate his character too, but I also am unbiased enough to say like you know what? It takes a lot of intelligence to number one stay alive, number one put someone away for your actions and get away with it because <laughs> he does like he gets away with it like yeah. <laughs> that's uh, all i mean my only skeptability here is so if he had done that as a normal human almost like how 
I mean, I guess that's the easiest way to do it, which I get, like, because Sirius kept turning into the dog to stay away from everybody. But he, if he had found a way to stay out of the spotlight and stay in the wizard gnome without being a rat, I would definitely see it. I do agree with you here based on the points you're saying. However, I always wonder... Which, this does make sense, what you're saying, because you have to be... That's the biggest one for me that kind of wins me over on this, is to be an Animagus, you have to be some of the top of the top, even no matter how many people try to teach it to you. But I still wonder how much of that was instinct, because he had been doing it so long that he just blew some shit up and ran for dear life. Because what happens... Well, the thing is, is instinct is a form of intelligence, though. Like, like when you follow your instinct, it means you're trusting it more than your, what your eyes are telling you. And when you're turned out to be right, you know, that's a form of intelligence. Your instinct being correct is still intelligence. You know what I mean? Like I said, like intelligence is a, it's different. It's graded for everybody differently. Like what's that quote that Albert Einstein used to say? If you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to live its whole life thinking it's stupid. Because fish don't climb what trees, he right? looks like. like? Like you're saying, think of him. He looks ugly bald nasty looking portly what's that have to do with being smart what's that have to do with like being sort of like surviving <laughs> whatever like, I'm just like that's what right I'm now because s- i can't stand this motherfucker <laughs> excuse my language i cannot stand <laughs> this character. i can't either i'm just saying like i recognize that it does take uh some skill to live as a rat for 12 years straight and never come out as a human like imagine that like imagine like having to be fed like rat food for 12 years. you can't you like, used to be a human eating regular things sleeping in a bed like now you've got to like sleep on floors run away from cats eat like nasty rat food like you've got to really really be in that like you've got to commit to it and he committed to living his whole life as a rat for 12 years finger of harry potter (laughs) yeah he really is honestly that's a great comparison i think he's a little finger of harry potter i do think little finger was a little bit more intelligent than him in terms of like scheming but like in terms of like him flip-flopping loyalties and just being a snake in the grass yeah i'd for sure make that comparison and begging the beggar queen (laughs) he's got some begging (laughs) to do in just a minute because what he does he always like that's off to the shadows Back to the hundred percent. One thing to your comparison with like Peter Bailey. Yeah, I thought you guys <laughs> like that on the camera. But uh, one other thing I was going to say too, to also back up your point about the uh, comparison to Peter Baelish is like he always found like he always uh, allied himself with the big powerhouse in Westeros, right? That's what Littlefinger did. Like if it was the Lannisters, he was on the Lannister side. When the North started gaining power, he jumped to Sansa's side. It's exactly what Wormtail does. Like he was friends with Lily and James and, and Sirius and Lupin, who were like the powerful people at school, like who knew all the magic. And then when Voldemort started taking over, not to get too far ahead, but like you know, he changes his. You know, he just goes with who he thinks can keep him the most safe. So like, yeah. it's. His survival instincts are off the charts. Like, staying alive, Peter Pettigrew, like, he knows how to stay alive. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, you won me over. The Animagus thing but. and cutting off the finger, that's what really sold me. But uh, And don't worry, the one that fell that I just put back up, that was Professor McGonagall. She took a big spill in the Quidditch match years ago, so she's used to it. So we're good. <laughs> oh, to go that's here, right. That man. was a, that was one of those cool, interesting facts that you gave of Professor McGonagall getting that accident on Quidditch, one of the worst accidents, right? That was yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's why she always wants to win those Quidditch match because it was her fault. They lost the 
cup to Slytherin that year. And so to take this the next step further, because now we're actually starting to get into what I was, we were like, we were just talking about. <laughs> I also thought like, cause Crookshanks knew Sirius wasn't a dog and, and he also knew that Peter wasn't a rat. So Crookshanks is a pretty intelligent animal too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that that's pretty awesome. 365, we learned that Sirius convinced uh, Harry's dad and Harry's mom, James and Lily, to use Peter Pettigrew as their secret keeper last minute. And Pettigrew was the one that portrayed them to Voldemort. So now, now I can actually say, because we've gotten to that point in the book, the Secret Keeper was supposed to be serious. And so the Fidelius Charm and how that works is it's a complex spell. But basically, if you want to hide your location from somebody, and so where they can't find you no matter what, you can do this Fidelius Charm where like the Secret Keeper will know your location and only they can give you up. So it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Like, who would they have used? Would they have used Dumbledore? Would they have used Lupin? Would they have used Sirius? Whatever it may be. And it was supposed to be Sirius because Sirius and James were the best of friends, right? They are basically brothers without being related. And so it was supposed to be Sirius because they knew Sirius would die before he gave up Harry's parents' you know, location and where they were. But Sirius got a little too cute for his own good. He got too... He tried to... Uh, what do you do? Whenever you like try to get too smart for your own good right that's what he did he's like you know what Voldemort's gonna expect it's me because he knows that I'm close to them so what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna go to someone who doesn't have a lot of talent someone they didn't think that we would trust for anything and we're gonna give it to him because no one would ever expect it little do we know he was the spy the whole time so yeah Sirius really screwed himself up and his parents and that's why Sirius blames himself for James and Lily's death and says, you know, I, I basically, I as good as killed them because I convinced them to switch the Secret Keeper from me to Peter Pettigrew and he betrayed them. So I as good as killed them myself. So a lot of harboring a lot of guilt, you know, yeah. there as well. It's like so, that reverse psychology, not to interrupt you, but yeah. like if you're playing uh, rock, paper, scissors and you're like, but if he thinks I'm going to go rock, then I'm going to turn into scissors. And then you turn back to rock thinking that. Well, then they just chose paper. So you lost. You overthought it. He overthought it. Exactly right. And uh, so then from there, we learned page 368 that Pettigrew has been hiding from Voldemort's supporters because they actually blame Peter Pettigrew for Voldemort losing his own powers at the Potter's since he went to the Potter's on Peter Pettigrew's information. So that was an interesting wrinkle there that I think a lot of people might have missed. So he's not only hiding from like the quote-unquote the good guys, he's hiding from the bad guys too because all of Voldemort's supporters thought that Voldemort came to his demise because Peter Pettigrew was a double, double agent. Like he was not just a double agent yeah. informing on to Voldemort, but he might have been a double agent in like luring Voldemort there on purpose knowing Voldemort was going to come to his end there. Which, obviously, he had no idea that that was going to happen. Like, no one's going to give him any of that credit, but his supporters think so. So, Peter Pettigrew's been hiding from basically the whole Wizarding World with no allies, no friends, no nothing. So, yeah, thought that was crazy. Uh, also, page 370, we deduced that Peter Pettigrew didn't attempt to harm Harry because there was nothing in it for Peter Pettigrew, right? Voldemort wasn't there to protect him, and he wasn't going to hurt Harry underneath Dumbledore's nose. So there was no reason for him to try to cause harm to Harry because as we said, Peter Pettigrew is the only person he just aligns himself with whoever has looks like they're going to win the battle or the war, the like, you know, the strong people. Hey, like now that Voldemort's gone, I'm just going to stare and eat Dumbledore's nose. You're not going to do anything out of the ordinary. But then as soon as it looks like, you know, maybe the other side's coming, I'm going right back over there. Like 
True like, friend. like True you friend. said zero loyalty at all with this guy. <laughs> and then last thing I've got before uh, you'll take it away is page 371. I do want to read the second and third paragraph here because I think it's very, very important. And one of my favorite moments of all for this book, this kind of puts a lot of things into perspective. Mm-hmm. So page 371, the first <clears throat> and I'm sorry, the second and third paragraph, right? I don't know how I did it, he said slowly. This is a serious in terms of escaping Azkaban. I don't know how I did it, he said slowly. I think the only reason I never lost my mind is that I knew I was innocent. That wasn't a happy thought, so the Dementors couldn't suck it out of me. But it kept me sane and knowing who I am. Helped me keep my powers, so when it all became too much, I could transform in my cell. Become a dog. Dementors can't see, you know, he swallowed. They feel their way towards people feeding off of their emotions. They could tell that my feelings were less less human and less complex when I was a dog, but they thought, of course, that I was losing my mind like everyone else in there, so it didn't trouble them. But I was weak, very weak, and I had no hope of driving them from me without a wand. But then I saw Peter in that picture, and I realized he was at Hogwarts with Harry, perfectly positioned to act if one hint reached his ears that the dark side was gathering strength again. So I just wanted to like put that out there. Like This guy was able to survive 12 years in Azkaban because, number one, he knew he was innocent, and then when he saw that Peter was near Harry and could have done it, he, he kicked into his, like, his own kind of parental instincts and like, no, I've got to get out of here. I've got to save Harry. He's my best friend. Who's, I, it's my, he, in his mind, he thinks it's his fault that his best friend's dead. He's, got to, he's responsible for protecting his best friend's son now. How can he do that? He's got to break out of Azkaban. And how can he do that? We learn he becomes that dog and slips through the cell. But I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, I mean, uh, that was awesome. Big, important moment. Um, can't even imagine, really, what Sirius was going through. That would be terrifying on top of that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this is where we go into begging like a bitch. This is our begging like a bitch section, everyone. So I would like <laughs> to bring that up. Uh, just like they do on uh, Fantasy Focus or all the fantasy shows where they're like, the waiver wire edition. Well, I would like to claim Peter Pettigrew as the waiver wire that should have never been signed because he's trash, (laughs) just utter trash, man. So, you know, this is when they're like, hand me the rat and they force Pettigrew out to change. Um, And, uh, you know, so this is when Pettigrew starts like begging for mercy First, he goes to Ron. He goes to each one. And they're all just revolting. Just, like, just get the hell away from me. So, first, he goes to Ron. And he's like, Ron, haven't I been a good friend? A good pet? You won't let them kill me, Ron, will you? You're on my side, aren't you? But Ron was staring at Pettigrew in the utmost revulsion. I let you sleep in my bed, he said. Kind boy, kind master, Pettigrew crawled toward Ron. You won't let them do it? I was your rat. I was your good pet. Pettigrew turned to Hermione on, the, on his knees, staggered and seized with him on her, rose, her robes. Sweet girl, 
Clever girl. You won't let them. Help me. Hermione pulled her robes off Pettigrew's clutching hands and backed away against the wall. Pettigrew knelt, trembling uncontrollably, and turned his head slowly towards Harry. Harry! Harry! You, you, you look just like your father! Just like him! How dare you speak to Harry, roared Black! How dare you face him! How dare you talk about James in front of him! Harry whispered, Pettigrew, uh, shuddering towards him, hands outstretched. Harry, James, James wouldn't have wanted me to be killed. James would have understood, Harry. He would have shown me mercy. But Black and Lupin both strode forward, seized Pettigrew's shoulders, and threw him backwards against the wall. He sat there twitching, terrified, staring up at them. You sold Lily and James out to Voldemort, said Black, who was shaking too. Do you deny it? Murdered her! Raped her! Killed her children! <laughs> yes! And then that's when Pettigrew like, admits it. He burst into tears. It was horrible to watch. Like an oversized... Oh, sorry, that was a narrator. Oversized balding baby cowering on the floor. Serious! Serious! What could I have done? The Dark Lord had no idea. He had weapons you can't even imagine. I was scared, Sirius. I have never been brave like you, Remus and James. I never meant it to happen. He who must not be named forced me. Don't lie, Black bellowed. You've been passing information to him for a year before Lillian James died. You were his spy. He was he was taking over everywhere, gasped Pettigrew. But what was there to be gained by refusing him? Was was there to be gained by by fighting the most evil wizard has ever uh, was sorry, serious. What was there to be gained by fighting the most evil wizard that ever existed? Uh, said Black, with a terrible fury in his voice. Only innocent lives, Peter. You don't understand, whined Pettigrew. He would have killed me, Sirius. Then you should have died, roared Black. Died rather than betray your friends, as we would have done for you. Black and Lupin stood there, shoulder to shoulder, wands raised. You should have realized, said Lupin quietly, if Voldemort didn't kill you, we would. Goodbye, Peter. That's my that favorite line of the whole book. When Lupin's line right there, I had that written down. I had that starred, underlined, like, every highlighted, whatever you want. When he said... You should have realized, said Lupin quietly, if Voldemort didn't kill you, we would. Goodbye, so Peter. Badass. Like, it's so, it's just so matter-of-factual, because, like, of Lupin's whole demeanor. He's, like, it was, it was as normal as telling him it was 75 degrees outside, sunny, with no clouds. He's, like, he's, like, you should have realized. Like, you, like, like, there was no, <laughs> like, no debate. Like, this was gonna happen. Like, they were just so ready to kill this guy, like, they didn't even care. They're, like, hey... Now you know why. Let's get it on. Like I'll let 100%. you keep going, but I just, I just, that's my favorite line in this whole book is when he said that. Like that was like, awesome. You know you're really messed up if you set Lupin off and he's willing to just kill you like that and not even think about it. Exactly. Like, he, Lupin's <clears throat> the most down to earth guy ever. Like sees both ever. sides, help trying to help everybody, and he's just gonna kill you like that. 
um, pretty awesome. So I also thought of Lion King. I know that's your that's your movie, Jay Nelly. Murderer! <laughs> <laughs> Tell them so they can hear you. So awesome. That's right. Um, yeah, so that happens. And, uh, you know, um, then we're starting to go into, uh, you know, Harry stops them from killing him. Uh, Harry, I don't know how he does it because he was just willing to kill Sirius, uh, I guess because everything he's like built up in his mind here, but it does stop them at this point, and it, it really does say, uh, you know, give Harry props on this one because he, he did the right thing. I mean, as much as you hate somebody, he tells him he can go to Azkaban, but don't kill him, uh, and he even realizes no matter how much this guy has done, it's still not my place to take a life over it so and on that note i'll shoot it back over to you man yeah to touch right on what you just said there was perfect because he said my dad wouldn't have wanted his best friends become murderers for you like you know what i mean like like literally that's true like his dad wouldn't have wanted Sirius and remus to like take a life because of because of that so i thought that was pretty cool um other other than that too i also said when, when harry decides to spare peter Pettigrew's life that's also a foreshadow for later on in the series because you know and even in this book Dumbledore mentioned something about it but we'll get there when we get there um and also I thought you know when he mentioned like when Harry was ready to kill Sirius remember he was ready to but he couldn't even with Sirius he was just holding the wand there's like do it in his own head trying to force himself to do it but he just couldn't and then Lupin arrived and then all that ensued so like Harry's got Harry just doesn't have that ability to kill somebody like like he, he cannot take a life, which is great. It shows a lot of good, strong character from him. But uh, yeah. going on from there, uh, I said they question. set off to Sorry. make things right. Yeah. No, good. good. Sorry, not to interrupt you. I just had a quick question about that. Um, yeah. Which we're not giving away any spoilers. There is a character in the book that I'm very favorative of <laughs> uh, that does something later on to that point of taking a life uh do you think harry could have gone that far whether it was if it was for a purpose i guess um do you think harry could do it i know where you're going with it yeah i, guess I know so. you're going i don't i don't think so i just it doesn't seem like it's in him like mm-hmm. like I feel like you're either born with the the ability, like that quick instinct, or you're not. And I just don't think Harry is. Regardless yeah. if it was for the best of intentions. Let's say, you know, let's say Hermione was dying of terminal cancer and she was losing motor function and she just couldn't be herself. And she's like, Harry, just put me out of my misery. I still don't know if he could do it. Like, I really don't. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, man, I'll let you take it away. Sorry, not to interrupt you. <laughs> No, no, it's fine. Like, I, yeah, that's a good question. I don't have a straight answer. It's, it's tough, but because uh, I know what you're, where you're going with it, and like what you're talking about, I just don't know if Harry could have done that. But um, yeah, yeah. No, back to that three page three seventy seven. They set off to make things right. Now they've got Peter chained, and this is like another plot hole I've got that I'll talk about later. There's just so many more efficient ways they could have done this last part than what <laughs> they ended up doing. Like, like I'll, I'll mention that when we get to the plot holes, but. Um, Anyways, they still have to make things right. So Peter is chained to Lupin and Ron. Ron has a splint on his leg. Snape is being magically carried by Sirius with Snape's own wand, dragging him along, banging his head off the top of the stuff. Is like the, <laughs> I, he was talking about those things, and then um, 
you know, Sirius was behind him, and then Harry and Hermione were just backing up the crowd there. So <clears throat> this is where this is where the the big big stuff starts to happen, right? Page three seventy nine. Sirius Black gives Harry the option to go live with him once they clear his name. Now, there's a lot of different folds to this. Number one, there's a certain protection that Harry has from living with his aunt and uncle that we can't talk about yet because it comes up later. So that could have caused an issue for that, you know, if he goes and lives with Sirius Black. Number two, he's always wanted to leave the Dursleys. He's never felt at home there. Like, they've never treated him. So he's super, super excited about the possibility. And then, obviously, we we're about to find out what happens here. It's a nice offer. It was great, and I know Harry really wanted it. And he, you know, now know now that he knows that his dad's best friend never did anything wrong. He's completely innocent. He wants to be able to be with someone who is close with his dad. He said it's the next best thing. You know, living with his dad's best friend is like the next best thing to having his own dad back. So mm-hmm. I get where it comes from there. But then you know that we have the the practical reality that someone's not safe unless they're in a certain location, and that's all I'll leave that at. Um, now we go to page 380, the cloud shift, and we realize it's a full moon. Got a really big plot hole with this that we'll talk about, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Lupin begins to tra- like Lupin begins to transform. Then Peter Pettigrew grabs Lupin's wand, knocks Ron unconscious, as well as Crookshanks. Harry disarms him, but then Peter transforms into the rat and escapes. So that sucks because now everything's kind of out the window. Everything just seemed like nice and neat about to wrap up into a little bow we've had the big uh the big surprise out of the way hey peter pettigrew is actually the real bad guy not serious black we're thinking joanne rowling is going to give us a nice happy ending here and we're all going to be like you know super excited about how this turns out and then she hits us with this <laughs> now all of a sudden peter pettigrew escapes again and that's going <laughs> to be a huge foreshadow for later on too uh, and uh, then I'll just leave in this last one before uh, it, it, I'll have you get your run at it. Is pages 328 through 383 talking about the Dementors surrounding Sirius Black by the lake? It said at least yeah. 100 Dementors surrounded Sirius Black. Dude, do you guys know how much 100 is? That's a lot of individual bodies, man. 100 yeah. Dementors surrounded Sirius Black. So, And we know the effects that the even one Dementor has on Harry. And we're gonna find out what happens there, but uh, it's it's on you, my man. Yeah, man. Uh, just kind of, uh, really, I'm just gonna touch on those, and then I'll I'll shoot it back to you. Um, I do want to say, in the film, it was really cool watching Sirius change. Like that was one of my favorite part of the visuals. Like you know, his eyes like kind of like go black as he's seeing the moonlight. Like his pupils dilate. Oh, you're yeah, talking about Lupin, not Sirius. You're talking about Professor Lupin, not Sirius. Oh, sorry. I, I meant Lupin. We j- gotcha. Sorry. Because we jumped <laughs> just from Sirius. Yeah. <laughs> Going yeah. sticking a step back in time. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> Going to talk about time on this one. Um, yeah. yeah, right. Uh, but uh, yeah, so when Lupin changes to the werewolf in the film part, it was pretty amazing because you saw like the pupils dilate and stuff. I got to say, though, in the film, it was pretty cool watching him change. He was so skinny and hairless. Like, it's not what I expected at all. Like, I expected something like Van Helsing. Like, if you've seen the Van Helsing movie with Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman, Jackman, (laughs) um, he, uh, like, turns into that big, massive, like, werewolf black dog. So, like, muscular and stuff. 
that's almost like what I envisioned. And then you had like the Jacob Twilight dog, like as serious, like staring at him. And the way it was described in the book was amazing. So just to read that last paragraph real quick for how they go at each other is insane. Um, so I do want to make sure the audience hears this because this is so descriptive, like how they rip at each other compared to like the film. It barely showed it. Um, there was a terrible snarling noise. Lupin's head, Lupin's head was lengthening. So was his body. His shoulders were hunching. Hair was sprouting visibly on his face and his hands, which were curling into clawed paws. Crookshank's hair was on end again. He was backing away. As the werewolf reared, snapping his long jaws, Sirius disappeared from Harry's side. He had transformed into the enormous bear-like dog bounded forward as the werewolf wrenched itself free of the manacle binding it the dog seized it about the neck and pulled it backwards away from ron and Pettigrew. they were locked jaw to jaw claws ripping at each other like that i imagined it was so much more vivid in my mind than what we saw in film 100%. Like I, I imagined like two huge monsters going at it and you're just like holy shit let's get out of here yep. um and uh you know then from that point like you were saying you know that's when all the dementors uh were there and um hermione was there you know right behind harry um and this was kind of that moment you know they heard the yelping uh from the lake and they they rush over there and sirius was like no no please and that's when harry saw them the dementors at least a hundred of them like you said uh, gliding in a black mass around the lake towards them. He spun around the familiar icy cold penetrating his insides. The fog started to obscure his vision so he almost can't even see at this point and it's freezing. Uh, more were appearing out of the darkness from every side as they were encircling them. That's just terrifying. Like I don't know about you but like I would be like like that's the moment where i feel like the film should have even given that sense of i hate bringing up game of thrones but you know that's what we're one of our biggest arcs remember season five was had kind of one of those moments where they were trapped in the sons of the harpies in the center and danny was holding on to Sunday's hand that's kind of what it felt like here when i was reading this like serious hermione and harry are effed like excuse my language but like you're screwed at this point. Like I didn't know what was about to happen, and I'll let you take it away from here. Yeah, and, and think about this too, because of the way Dementors are described with their hoods, it's like a hundred Grim Reapers coming at you, basically. Oh my word! <laughs> like, Insane. like that's and they said at least a hundred, and then to your point, they're saying even more were coming out of like from every direction. So how many were there in total? We don't even know. We don't have a solid, but like if there was over a hundred, either way. Like I said, remember like how one Dementor affected Harry on the train, and now you've got so many like to the point because like you know, here's here I'll, I'll read it off of what I put down here. Yeah. You know Harry Harry tries to fend off the Dementors, tells Hermione to try to help, tries to give her the spell to, to help and everything, but she collapses. Hermione's never once collapsed because of Dementors. Like it's always been a Harry is the only one that ever passed out when Dementors were near. So yeah. Hermione collapsed. So now we're we're starting to see the magnitude of this. There are so many Dementors. We know how they affect Harry. Now they're affecting somebody else even worse. Because now Harry's 
staying conscious because he's trying to fight them off, knowing that if it, he doesn't, they're all screwed. So she collapses and leaving him alone to deal with 100 plus Dementors. And he keeps trying his Patronuses, but they're feeble and they're not working. The Dementor grabs him by the neck and is about to perform the Dementor's kiss. When Harry sees a light coming from the opposite side of the lake and it drives the Dementors away and it goes back to the person who conjured it. And like, you know, we, and he, we ends up think he says he looked very familiar, strangely familiar to the person he saw across the lake. And I won't say who we thought it was yet because that's about to come mm-hmm. up in a little bit. But just that visual alone, in my mind, it played out so much cooler than it did on film. Like, they grabbed Harry by the neck, and they're about to perform this kiss on him, who's an innocent boy. He did nothing, right? The Dementors are there to catch Sirius Black. They're about to perform the Dementors' kiss on all three of them. They don't care. Then all of a sudden, you know, right before it happens, that big Patronus comes in and takes them out. Um, but now, then, then it starts the next chapter, and right away... It opens with Cornelius Fudge congratulating Snape for catching mm-hmm. Sirius and saving Harry and Hermione and telling him that he'll receive an Order of Merlin second class, maybe even first if he can finagle a first Order of Merlin for Snape, which is really dirty because we all know exactly how the events transpired, but no one else does because Harry went unconscious right after the Dementors were driven away by the Patronuses. And that's where I will leave it for you to uh, continue on from there. Yeah. Um, uh, I did want to bring up this one little, um, you know, when I always say little moment, I'll probably just say this and then one more thing and I'll shoot it right back to you, man. Um, going back to where the Dementors is, so it's taking a quick step back in time. Uh, this, my point here being is imagine how hard it would be to even keep your mind clear of we're not screwed in this moment. Like Harry at least has that killer instinct in him. I don't think he has the kill instinct, but I do think he has the urge of, I'm going to fight back, like he's yes. always done. Mm-hmm. Um, and even here in the beginning, you know, when he was like saying... What I, I like to call him. it like the go down swinging mentality. Like if he's going to go down, exactly. he's going down swinging, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's great. Um, but even just trying to clear your head, like he was trying to clear his head to get the thoughts right for the Patronus spell to cast it when all that's going on like first he thinks of you know he's going to live uh yeah. with his with his godfather instead of the dursleys so hopefully that'll work doesn't work you know the patronus didn't work at all um so then he was like sitting here trying to think more and more and just keep shooting it he was like i'll be all right i'm going to go live with him expecto patronum hermione help me expecto patronum like they're doing everything they can as they were closing in and then finally like at least he was able to conjure up like something like uh i mean it's just amazing he could even do that at that moment of course it wasn't what they needed and um this is that moment kind of what i wanted to bring up when going back to game of thrones you know danny in season five when they're in the pit of the sons of the harpies she's holding Sunday's hand because this is kind of that moment here where he's next to hermione and they're coming at them, and he's like, I'm about to lose not only my friends, but they're going to come at me first, and it's done. Like, everyone's everyone's effed at this point. And it said, uh, after he cast the last one, um, when he said, expecto, patro- expecto, expecto, patro, and it, he was alone, completely alone. Here he felt his knees hit the cold grass, fog clouding his eyes. With that huge effort, he fought to remember this. Siri was, Sirius was innocent. 
We'll be okay. I'm going to live with him. Expecto Patronum. By the feeble light of his formless Patronus, he saw a Dementor halt very close to him. It couldn't walk through the cloud of silver mist that Harry had conjured, but a dead, slimy hand slid out from under the cloak. It made a gesture as though to sweep the Patronus aside, so just, like, pushed it aside. No, no, Harry gasped. He's innocent. Expecto Patronum. And, like, it's, it's not working. And he could feel them watching him the air rattling and breath like an evil wind around him the nearest dementor seemed to be considering him then if raised both the rotting hands and lowered its hood where he should have been eyes there was gray scab skin stretched blank over those empty sockets but there was a mouth a gaping shapeless hole sucking the air sound of the death rattle the paralyzing terror filled harry so that he couldn't move or speak his Patronus flickered and died. White fog was blinding him. He had to fight. So he still has that instinct to keep going when, like, this is it. Like, no one else could. Expecto Patronus. But he couldn't see. And in the distance, he heard that familiar screaming. Specto. He groped. In the midst of Sirius, he found his arm, and they weren't going to take him. But a pair of string, clammy hands suddenly attached themselves around Harry's neck, and they were facing facing upward he could feel the breath it was going to get rid of him first he could feel its putrid breath his mother was screaming in his ears she was going to be the last thing he ever heard and then through the fog there was the drowning him he thought he had saw a silvery light growing brighter and brighter he felt himself fall forward into the grass face down too weak to move sick shaking when harry opened his eyes and it's like that was that killer instinct like he is pulling a barristan sell me at this point like just trying to take out as many as he can so that really stood out um and then from here you know that's when he wakes up in that hospital wing and um you know they're all considering um you know albus walks in and he starts to tell them you know, I understand what you're saying about Sirius's case, but basically what he says is, you know, one, no one's going to really care what two 13-year-olds have to say after all this. Like, Sirius, you know, he hasn't exactly played everything outright to where he looks clean and innocent in basic terms. Um, and he said, you know, what we need here is we need more time. And he just looks at Hermione and says three turns will do the trick and I'll let you take it from here yeah just a little bit before there because I want to talk about Snape and his like he, he he's a little weasel man I don't I've never liked Snape <laughs> still don't I still don't like Snape, Snape even after boy. the series is done <laughs> so like what I talked about already of, of like Fudge trying to give him like an order of Merlin second class for you know catching Sirius Black mm-hmm. but Snape is what immediately starts telling Cornelius Fudge that Sirius Black had bewitched them into thinking he was innocent and they attacked him but like he has no idea he's like I, they were confounded I knew it immediately <laughs> like no like you didn't yeah. like, you just then <clears throat> he's trying to get all three of them in trouble like like I said like a weasel man he's sitting there saying well, well Perry's always shown uh, uh, he doesn't care about the rules no matter that they're there to protect him we should treat him like any other student any other student would be expelled at the least like 
you know, they were in the company of a murderer out of bounds trying to catch this guy single-handedly. Like, just going off, like, because he, you know, all of it stems from his grudge for the, you know, Harry's dad, Sirius Black, and Lupin, right? So, like, I just had an issue with that there. But, yes, talking about Dumbledore arriving to speak with Harry and Hermione and that he believes that they need more time, he tells Hermione that three turns should do it. I have a huge plot hole with this, too, by the way. Because it's five minutes to midnight, and three hours <laughs> past midnight is nine p.m. And if yeah. someone was executed at sundown, how was that nine p.m.? Regardless, we'll talk about that later. But uh, he actually tells, um, and I'll and I'll read this part here, talking about what Dumbledore his instructions are to Harry and Hermione, given the situation. So I'll read the paragraph right here. He said, "Now pay attention," said Dumbledore speaking very low and clearly. Sirius is locked in Professor Flitwick's office on the seventh floor, 13th window from the right of the West Tower. If all goes well, you will be able to save more than one innocent life tonight. But remember this, both of you. You must not be seen. Miss Granger, you know the law. You know what is at stake. You must not be seen. So, we start to learn a little bit about this here. Now, you know, for a full circle moment, we realize how Hermione is able to get to all of her, uh, all of her classes in time, right? So <laughs> yeah. we know that that's uh, that makes a lot more sense now that we know that she's been able to use the time turning. So when he says three clicks to do it, she pulls out like her necklace and it's an hourglass, and she turns it over, lets the sand fall, turns it over again, lets the sand fall, turns it over again. Mm-hmm. So that takes him back three hours in time, and. Last thing I'll have before I toss it to you is Harry figures out that Dumbledore wants them to save Buckbeak as well, and that's what he meant by saving more than one innocent life tonight, and that he wants them to fly Buckbeak up to Sirius's window and have Sirius escape on Buckbeak. And I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. Um, from that point, uh, kind of the next uh, fact that really stood out to me is when they're back in time at this moment, you know, Hermione uh, goes and tells Harry because he was like gonna just rush into like Hagrid's hut to like stop the whole thing like what are you doing like why are you running in here like you can't do you realize what would happen if you actually saw yourself like people have gone crazy from doing that and like killed themselves and Harry was saying yeah I would think it was mad or it'd be some sort of really dark magic going on and she's like yeah like that's part of the law you can't do that um so uh from that point i do have uh one thing that really stood out is right i guess right before then just kind of touching on this was uh hermione said that mcgonagall gave her the time turner (laughs) that they're using to go back in time which now all this that's led up to this point with hermione's schedule makes sense and that's why she was able to get through all these classes which would still be exhausting, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, that was right before Buckbeak there, but um, so uh, then at this point, the next one I have, and then I'll let you take it away, was um, so Harry mentions that he thinks. So in the film, it did show there was a stag there. There was this like deer thing that came out of the Patronus in the film. But Harry mentions that he thinks the wizard that saved him 
uh, was his dad. And Hermione thinks it's crazy. Like, he's dead. Like, did you see a ghost? Like, you see in Hogwarts? Like, what was it? What did you see? And he said, I, basically, I know this sounds insane, but it was my dad. And uh, I'll let you take it away from there. Yeah, awesome. That's perfect because that led right before like when I was talking about before when he fell down, he saw someone that, across the lake that looked familiar to him, and you just told exactly you just brought it up. Harry thought it was his dad the whole time. Um, now, I, when they go back in time, I just got a couple things there. First, is like when they get out of the entrance hall, they have to run around the greenhouses and around the Whomping Willow instead of going directly down to Hagrid's because they're worried mm-hmm. someone would come out and be able to see them crossing the yard just directly to Hagrid's. So they had to go like a roundabout way to get to Hagrid's hut and I thought that was pretty cool because it, was, it yeah. just shows like some situational awareness on Hermione's part and Harry like them both you know realizing they don't have a lot of time to, to work with this right? Mm-hmm. right so then on top of that to what you were saying when Harry wants to bust in Hagrid's house and like just <laughs> do it all there he said you know I, I think there's some dark magic going on this is a part that I found really important when Hermione replies she says exactly you wouldn't understand. You might even attack yourself, don't you see? Professor McGonagall, McGonagall told me what awful things have happened when wizards have meddled with time. Loads of them ended up killing their past or future selves by mistake. So that leads into a lot of questions about the time turner and really what happens when we go back in time. Like, there's a lot of issues there. So I just wanted to read that out specifically. Yeah. No, uh, page 401, Buckbeak fighting the rope. Like, you know, because they were trying to, like, they, they were all in Hagrid's hut. And when I say all, oh, this was, you know, Dumbledore, Fudge, McNair, the old committee guy who's an old man, and then Hagrid. So those guys were in there going over the formalities of, you know, reading out the, the stuff. McNair looked out the window, saw Buckbeak was there, and now they've got to untie him. They got him untied, and now he's not moving. Like, he's, like, actively working against Harry and Hermione. Like, Harry's trying to pull this huge hippogriff along trying to save its life and the hippogriff's like making it harder on them to the point where like they almost like Dumbledore has to say like oh you have to you actually have to listen to here like you have to come back and sign this like gives them just enough time and I actually have a weird theory um I do feel like past Dumbledore kind of knows what's going on he always seems like he just knows more than anyone man he just always seems to be one step ahead because he stops McNair to sign the notice at the perfect moment. And also, after Buckbeak escapes, like they pull him away, McNair, what he wants to do is he wants to search the grounds. Dumbledore says and convinces them not to search the grounds because he said, oh, they would have just flown away. If they, if they escaped on a hippogriff, why would they go in the grounds? You can search the skies if you want, but Hagrid, pour me some brandy. <laughs> like, but awesome. you know what I mean? Because, like, great. listen, if, if they did go ahead and search the grounds... They would have found Buckbeak with Harry and Hermione. It's like Dumbledore mm-hmm. knew. He knew exactly when to tell McNair to come sign this right before Harry was finally able to get like there. So I there's some there is some mystique to this Dumbledore guy. It's just interesting how he's never around when the big moments Showing up happen. at the last so. minute. <laughs> Sorry. Like after after that. all the bad stuff has happened, right? So exactly. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes. Then uh, also I also thought like Walden McNair is the guy's name. Um, but he comes up later on too, and this I put it in my foreshadowed events because they say he's an old pal of Lucius Malfoy's, so that's a big foreshadow going there. And then last thing I've got before I let you um, swoop in is uh, Harry wanted to make a run for it and grab his invisibility cloak before Snape had the chance to, 
But Hermione stops him, and it was actually a really good thing because Hagrid had just left his hut on the way to the yeah. castle. Then Snape emerged from the castle, barely two minutes in between there, so he likely would have been caught. What would have been awesome, what we learn a little bit later, there is a summoning charm that Harry learns next year at Hogwarts. It would have been perfect if he knew it at this point in time because he could have just summoned his invisibility cloak to him and everything could have been different. But unfortunately, you don't know what you don't know. And this is what they got stuck with. And there you go, man. It's on you. Yeah, man. No, that was good stuff. Um, just going back to Buckbeat for a second. Uh, when you really kind of... One of those moments where you're like, wow, that was just a really cool moment that put it all together was when the executioner like swung its axe and it was into the fence yep. so especially like in the film in the film he like hit a pumpkin that happened but it still was the kind of same idea you know like because you never really saw or i guess really you never really saw or were described like buckbeat's like head falling off not to be like too descriptive but yeah. and then you kind of realize how this is how this time piece is put together uh so i thought that was really cool it says the executioner seemed to have swung it into the fence in anger and then come the howling and this time uh, they could hear hagrid's uh my writing's awful hear hagrid's <laughs> words through his sobs uh that's what happens when you get to the bottom of the page yeah you gotta try through. yep yep oh yeah but so i thought it was really cool um and then i don't want to skip over too much if you had anything so just let me know if you do i'll send it right back to you um but the next thing i have is when harry thinks uh realize that the wizard that saved him um and serious so he i got i got two things before that just uh, gotcha th two okay. things yeah I'll and i'll let you i'll it. let you pick up there so uh harry explains to hermione what happened with the dementors he explained to his best part of like like how he thought his dad was the one that conjured it. And then when they're over there, he realizes that Lupin, when he turns into the werewolf, that Lupin's going to run right at them. So they have to run back to Hagrid's hut with Buckbeak. So mm -hmm. why they put that in, that's important. Remember, Hagrid left his hut. Who knows when he's coming back? They had no choice because if they were in Lupin's way as a full-fledged werewolf, Lupin probably would have killed Buckbeak, Harry, and Hermione. Yeah. So they yeah, had definitely. to drag him and pull him and get him back into Hagrid's hut. And that's when Harry decides, you know what? I'm going to go out there by myself and take a look and see who exactly conjured this. And now that's now we're caught up with each other and you'll, you'll take it from here. Yeah, uh, just the next two and then I'll send it right back to you. So this is a big, big, big moment. Uh, two things happen here. So Harry realizes that who he saw that he thought was his dad was himself. And he finds out that his dag's stag that shot out of the Patronus that he thought was the stag. Well, he thought was his dad shooting that stag out. But the stag out of the Patronus, his dad's Animagus was the stag. So let's think about this for a moment. Uh, so Wormtail, Peter Pettigrew, was a rat. Kind of has that worm-ish tail, right? Mooney a werewolf turns into a werewolf that's lupin when the moon comes out so mooney we're gonna find out harry's dad's uh which i guess you can piece it together now i guess yeah. it really doesn't yeah. matter yeah it does, well, yeah you, yeah, yeah you can piece it together so prongs the stag that he shoots out that has the antlers 
and then um the last one was padfoot padfoot which was serious which like dogs feet you know have yep. pads on it so good stuff but um i do want to read this part here because it is really cool uh but harry's sitting there just like in the film uh which i think this is the only like i said i feel like daniel radcliffe the only good acting he does is when he does these tiny moments where he shoots out spells right um but in the book harry's like come on he muttered staring about where are you dad come on but no one came harry raised his head to look at the circle of dementors across the lake one of them was lowering its head it was time for the rescuer to appear but no one was coming to help this time and then it hit him he understood he hadn't seen his father he had seen himself harry flung himself out from behind the bush and pulled out his wand daniel radcliffe spectro patronum he yelled and out of the end of his wand burst not a shapeless cloud of mist but a blinding dazzling silver animal he screwed up his eyes trying to see what it was it looked like a horse it was galloping silently away from him across the black surface of the lake he saw it lower its head and charge at the swarming dementors now it was galloping around and around the black shapes on the ground and the dementors were falling back scattering retreating into the darkness they were gone the patronus turned it was uh conjuring it was coming back towards harry across the still surface of the water it wasn't a horse it wasn't a unicorn either it was a stag it was a shining brightly uh, it was shining as brightly as the moon above it was coming back to him it stopped on the bank its hoods made hooves made no mark on the soft ground as it stared at harry with its large silver eyes slowly it bowed kind of like uh buckbeak which is really cool its antlered head and harry realized prongs he whispered but as his trembling fingertips stretched towards the creature it vanished and that was a pretty powerful moment there i thought so i'll send it on back to you after that man sounds good bro no, that, that was all good stuff. And why I think that that part is specifically important is because we had a debate when we talked about uh, Harry's uh, Patronus when he hit Malfoy at the Quidditch match and how like he knew that he could do it before. So like not even having to think of a happy thought because he didn't. Remember in that moment where he, hit, he just burst out this huge one right here across the lake? Yeah. He didn't even have to think of a happy thought. He already saw himself do it when he was collapsing back in the future or whatever it was. Like, I don't know, like the present time, the, the present time, but would have been future for this time. Like, that's a whole confusion of the time. So remember he collapsed and saw his own shadow, like his own figure create right, the spell. Yeah. So he knew that he was the one that did it because it got to that point in time. He's looking for his dad and his dad is in the show. He's like, oh, it was me. And then he just yeah. does it because he knows he can do it because he saw it already happen. So that's the crazy part. Like he didn't have to, he didn't have to think about anything happy. He already knew it, he could do it, and that's what exactly he tells Hermione after Hermione asks him how he drove all those Dementors away when she comes out. He's like, "Well, I already saw myself do it back in the present time, so I knew I could, so I did it." So it's crazy, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. And then now what I've got it was good. That's another debate on its own that we were saying. 
I mean, across I, the lake. Of course it was good. He just said it. It exploded into a big light oh, that no, took a I'm shape. Oh, no, I'm talking about the one with Malfoy. When they were oh, no, that wait, that we're talking about like, like how like we knew, because you your argument was like he wasn't thinking any happy thoughts when he was playing Quidditch. Well, Harry wasn't thinking any happy thoughts right now across the lake. He just knew he could do it, so he just made it happen. So Yeah, um, okay, I could see that there. I mean, but, there was no animal or anything, so it was the best, <laughs> but okay. But <laughs> so we get to page 414, right? And so now they fly Buckbeak to Sirius's window. Hermione unlocks the window with her Alohomora charm, and Sirius is able to like get on from there. Now, I think a lot of people don't realize that Harry and Hermione didn't get off into that room and exit the the charm's office. They actually flew up to the battlements of the West mm-hmm. Tower and got yeah. off, and that's where they said their goodbyes to Sirius. I do have some plot holes for this as well that I'll, I'll talk to when we get about. But then, you know, so Sirius, long story short, he makes his escape on Buckbeak. And then in page 416, we learn they've got exactly 10 minutes to get back to the hospital wing from the West Tower. And, you know, Fudge and Snape are talking and they're trying to hide from them coming around. Then they have to hide from Peeves, which, of course, in the film, Peeves never makes an appearance anywhere. But this is another important thing because could imagine, like, Peeves, you know he would just ruin that moment for everyone peeves is like a, a, a nuisance he would have been like oh potter and granger in the whatever you know what i mean like so they they had to hide from him as well and then the last thing i'll put down and i'll send it your way is uh in page 418 i've got to read the second paragraph and this one it's pretty important here so he goes where is it did I get that right? Page 418, second paragraph. So he says, Dumbledore backed out of the room, closed the door, and took his wand to magically lock it. So panicking, Harry and Hermione ran forward. So they were actually late. That's what I was trying to get at. They were actually late to getting back in time. And that's why her, like, he has to like lock the door, then wait for them to go, and then let them back in and lock it behind them. So he said, we did it. Harry said breathlessly, Sirius is gone on Buckbeak. And Dumbledore beamed at them. Well done. He said, I think you've gone to get in. I'll lock you in. So I thought that was really important. And the fact that uh, they they were actually late. No matter what they did, they still didn't get there in time to get back into the room. But then again, it begs the question, if they had gotten into the room and saw themselves, were they actually late? You know what I mean? So yeah. like it was weird. One of those weird, weird moments. But uh, it is all on you. Yeah, uh, just a, a few things when they were kind of still back in time that just piqued my interest for just a minute. Remember in the film, like, she, which these are more like differences we'll bring up later, but she, like, throws the rock that goes through the jar and, like, hits Harry's head. Um, <laughs> it's like, it, it, it almost, like, tried to contradict the book because the book, they weren't trying to make any contact. Um, but then you know and they had that scene where like Hermione was like does my hair look very good like she wasn't trying to avoid people at all but I did think it was cool too uh just someone that's out there I forgot to mention like with Buckbeak in the film she had like a ferret and she was like come get the ferret Buckbeak so I thought it was cool so Hermione's my girl that was awesome um but then when they rescue Sirius in the film she says Bombardo so that wasn't in the book, but I thought it was kind of a cool, like, blows the lock off of it. But the next thing I had jumping past where um, uh, you last ended up there, 
uh, so the Dementors, this is going into the last chapter, Owl's, Owl's Post again is what it's called, 22, uh, but the Dementors are removed from the school, um, and they have them removed because, you know, basically like Fudge can't keep them there because they were attacking students on accident, basically, is what was going on. Um, well, right, they they almost they almost killed Harry and Hermione. So he said they tried to perform yeah. a kiss on an on an innocent boy. He's like, exactly, yeah, can't yeah. do this. Uh. Um, yeah, just like you said. Uh, and yeah, here's a quote for you, just so I can always back this up. Just like you said. Oh yes, they'll have to go," said Fudge, running his fingers distractedly through the air. Never dreamed they'd attempt to administer the kiss on an innocent boy, completely out of control. No, I'll have them packed off back to Azkaban per- tonight. Perhaps we should think about dragons at the school's entrance. Which is kind of <laughs> even more ironic, because what will... I'm almost like foreshadowing a little bit <laughs> for what comes at some point. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. But um, the next thing is, you know, that Dark Arts position is still cursed, man. Um, one of our favorites uh, is packing up his things... In the film, it was kind of cool because Lupin, when he's packing his bags, like the shoes walk itself into the suitcase. So I thought that was cool. Uh, but I thought this, even if I'm a Snape fan, this was really crappy of Snape. Like this was just low. Like this is lower than Hermione ratting out the fireball. He goes, er, uh, Snape uh, told all the Slytherins this morning. Thought everyone know by now. Professor Lupin's a werewolf, see? And he was loose on the grounds last night. <laughs> He's packing now, of course. So, like, that quote just goes to show... And this is when he's talking to Hagrid. But, like, Hagrid is saying, like, Snape has spread the word about this, like, all in one night. Like, you're not going to try to keep this secret at all. Or at least talk to the staff what they should say about it first. No, like, because he hates Lupin so much. And I'm a Snape guy. I love Snape. Like, he just told everyone, he's on the loose! He's on the loose again! (laughs) Werewolf in the dungeon! (laughs) Yeah, man, so I thought that was pretty wild. And uh, Lupin hands Harry back the invisibility cloak in the Marauder's Map, and Harry's, like, stunned. He's handing him back the Marauder's Map when, you know, he was like, you shouldn't have this. And he tells him, like, I'm not your professor anymore, which I thought was really cool lupin like lupin is the guy that yes he has to hold a professional position but at the same time he understands where harry is coming from um so that was really cool and i'll let you take it over from here awesome yeah i like that and uh <laughs> i thought it was really funny too is when like in page 419 like snape loses his mind when he realizes black's escaped like, it's got something to do with Potter, like, screaming, kicking down the <laughs> yeah. doors. And, like, Dumbledore, Dumbledore's just letting it happen because Dumbledore knows exactly what might happen, what went on. So Cornelius Fudge is, like, trying to talk Snape, like, off the ledge. Like, calm down, <laughs> man. Like, they've been in the hospital wing. Like, how can they have done this? And he's like, you don't know Potter like I do. He <laughs> has something to do with it. Like, comes in screaming. Like, and then Madame Pomfrey's like, yo, what's going on? And... Dumbledore's like, well, has Harry and Hermione left in the 10 minutes we were gone? She's like, no, I would have heard the door. And he's like, see, Severus, you have nothing to worry about. They, they <laughs> had nothing to do with it. Like, this is, I, I wrote this down because I feel like this is a reoccurring theme. Dumbledore plays Snape like a fiddle throughout the entire series. 
when it comes Always. to not giving him the defense against the dark arts position, like, 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 just so many things. He just plays him along, like you know, he, he knows that <laughs> Snape's not always right but like he has his points but he wants you know he thinks like Dumbledore thinks of the greater good and so he like he lets people know what they need to know at the right time in a way so honestly Dumbledore is the greatest con man and we'll talk a lot about that later but uh, he's been playing Snape like a fiddle since day one uh, yeah. which I, we can't talk about now that that'll come way later but anyways <laughs> way uh, later. like you said oh, Fudge agrees <laughs> <laughs> Fudge agrees to remove the Dementors from the school, like you said. Um, Hagrid tells him Lupin resigned because Snape told the Slytherin students. That's a pro- That's the difference, dude. He told the students. Like, if you're a teacher, that's one thing you don't do. You don't just tell your kids anything. Like, like not to mention this, but remember, like in nine eleven when that happened, when we were in elementary school, they yeah. didn't sit there and tell us like you know terrorists bombed this place and we should be like scared for our lives. Right. They turned off all the TVs and just acted like nothing happened. Like, exactly. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you'll find out. Like, your parents will talk to you about it. But no, Snape's like, hey, kids, guess who's been teaching you all year? Oh, werewolf. Werewolf in the dungeon. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, so dirty. And then your point, too, when Harry gives back, or Lupin gives Harry back the invisibility cloak and the Marauder's map and tells him, yeah, we would have we would have thought it was funny to lead you out of the castle. All of us would have. Like, I think that James' son deserves to know a little bit about the school and all the secret passageways. Have a little bit of fun. He would have been disappointed if you didn't, right? Right. And then... I'm going to page 424 after like Lupin says his goodbyes to Dumbledore. You know, he, he Dumbledore looks at Harry and says, "Why so miserable, Harry? You should be very proud of yourself after last night." It didn't make any difference, Harry said bitterly. Pettigrew got away. Didn't make any difference, said Dumbledore quietly. It made all the difference in the world, Harry. You helped uncover the truth and you saved an innocent man from a terrible fate. And then that's when Harry goes in to tell Dumbledore about professor trelawney's prediction and that it brings like, and then he actually replied that hey that brings her total of real predictions up to two and <laughs> that's a huge foreshadow moment because we don't know what this first prediction yeah. is yet and that's something that comes up a little bit later as well actually it comes up in two books a little bit about her first prediction and in, in yeah. order of the phoenix mm-hmm. but uh i thought that was awesome and then the last thing i'll have before i turn it back over to you for to finish up our favorite moments because i still have a few after this but i want to make sure i give you the proper time that you need there so i'll read this real quick and then i will uh give it back to you so harry's sitting there and tell like told dumbledore he, he thought it was his dad that created the patronus across the lake that saved him from the dementors and dumbledore says well that's an easy mistake to make dumbledore says softly i expect you'll tire of hearing it but you do look extraordinarily like james except for the eyes you have your mother's eyes and harry shook his head it was a stupid thing thinking it was him he muttered I mean, I knew he was dead. And then this is the actual paragraph I love. Dumbledore replies, You think the dead we love to ever truly leave us? You think that we don't recall them more clearly than ever in times of great trouble? Your father is alive in you, Harry, and shows himself most plainly when you have need of him. How else could you produce that particular Patronus? Prongs wrote again last night. And I thought that was beautiful. And so I will let you go ahead and and do yours. And I've only got four more on favorite moments and we'll jump into foreshadows (laughs) after that. Yeah, just some quick ones uh, because they relate to my interesting facts coming up. Um, So Percy received the top grade in newts, which we'll go into that in my interesting facts. Plot hole. Plot hole. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and then Fred and George uh, did scrape a handful of owls each. So they did. They made it through. <laughs> made it through. Your boys, man. But um, that's a big plot hole, and I'll explain why I mean that in a little bit. Those are huge plot holes right there. Yeah, you're the plot hole guy. <laughs> you're the <laughs> plot hole guy, man. Um, Gryffindor won the House Cup third year in a row. Um, and uh, because the spectacular performance in the Quidditch Cup, the dirty match we talked about, um, really helped them out, so that was cool. The Quidditch World Cup is coming next summer, which you know... Uh, we're both big Quidditch people, so that that's pretty cool, and that'll lead into that big one, that big behemoth <laughs> we're going into soon in a couple weeks. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, this goes into my interesting facts. Harry joined Ron and Hermione in several games of Exploding Snap, <laughs> so that's pretty cool. And um, then, uh, you want to go into Sirius from that point? or Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I've got some cool ones here. Yeah, so... Uh, page 428, Sirius actually ends up telling Dumbledore of them becoming Animagi. So now Dumbledore knows. And this is something that can be useful for them going into the future. Uh, they won't ever get taken by surprise again by these <laughs> this particular thing. Uh, Hermione gives up muggle studies along with divination, meaning that she can have a normal schedule and return the time turner. Thought that was really important for everyone to know like the time turner is no longer in her possession. She has no... She no longer touches it, and uh, yeah, she's done with the time turner. And then the last thing, well, I've got two more after this, but I'll read Sirius's letter because I think that's a really important part. So I'm going to actually read this thing directly from the book. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me get to my voice all ready for you for reading this beautiful letter from <laughs> Sirius Black. He says, <clears throat> Dear Harry, I hope this finds you before you reach your aunt, your aunt and uncle, because I don't know whether they, they're they used to owl post. Buckbeak and I are in hiding. I won't tell you where, in case this owl falls into the wrong hands. I have some doubt about his reliability, but he is the best I could find, and he did seem eager for the job. I believe the Dementors are still searching for me, but they haven't a hope of finding me here. I am planning to allow some muggles to glimpse me soon, a long way from Hogwarts, so that the security on the castle will be lifted. There is something I never got around to telling you during our brief meeting. It was I who sent you the firebolt. Crookshanks took the order to the owl office for me. I used your name, but told him to take the gold out of my own Green God's vault. Please consider it as 13 birthdays worth of presents from your godfather. I would also like to apologize for the fright I think I gave you that night last year when you left your uncle's house. I had hoped to get a glimpse of you before starting my journey north, but I think the sight of me alarmed you. I am enclosing something else for you which I think will make your next year at Hogwarts more enjoyable. If you ever need for me, send word. Your owl will find me. I'll write again soon. Serious. And then Harry looked inside the envelope when he said he gave him an extra, like, little gift. He says, I, Sirius Black, Harry Potter's godfather, hereby give him permission to visit Hogsmeade on weekends. So now Harry has the ability to visit Hogsmeade. Um, you know, we get that full circle moment where Sirius tells Harry it was actually him was the dog that he saw at Magnolia Crescent if he couldn't piece two and two together. And the last part that I have for my favorite moments before I let you finish up your favorite moments if you have any extra ones is Sirius tells Ron that he can keep the owl if he likes. And this is a cool character progression moment because the first thing Ron does, picks up the owl and lets Crookshank smell it to make sure that it's actually an owl 
and got the uh, approval from Crookshanks. Remember, because Ron has hated this cat since the beginning of the book when it went after Scabbers for the very first time. So some cool character progression there. That's it for my favorite moments. Do you have any other favorite moments on there, or do we go on to foreshadowed events? Uh, I just have one, and this was when... You know, I always wind up having something with Uncle Vernon in there. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you home. do. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so Harry tells Uncle Vernon that he has a godfather, and he's like, godfather, sputtered Uncle Vernon. You haven't got a godfather. Yes, I have, said Harry brightly. He was my mom and dad's best friend. He's a convicted murderer, but he's broken out of a wizard prison, and he's on the run. He likes to keep in touch with me, though. Keep up with my news. Check it. Uh, check if I'm happy. Like, who would believe that? Like, that's what I thought was so cool. Like, you would think Harry was the kid that's 13 that still has imaginary friends or he's seeing ghosts that night or something. Like, Uncle Vernon's, like, creeped out. Um, but, yeah, that's the only one I had left there. And uh, I only have one plot hole, actually, because I just wrote down the major big plot holes. And that's for Chapter 21, Hermione's Secret. So I'll let you take away all the plot holes, and then I'll tell my one just whenever. Well, we'll we'll do foreshadowed events next instead oh, of plot okay. holes. Oh, okay. So you want to do that? Yeah, because I've okay. got I've got quite a few plot holes that will take some time. So I want to flow through our uh, foreshadowed events because I know we've got a lot of cover today, especially since we're doing our top five magical creatures too. So I think it'd be better to just uh, tackle the the foreshadowed events quickly because all we have to do is just name them and where that we found them, right? So yeah. <clears throat> I'll, what we'll do is we'll do five at a time. So that way it'll go pretty quickly. So the first foreshadowed event starting at chapter 16 through the end of the book is right there on page 315 when Hermione says, or when Harry asks Hermione, is there any point asking how you're going to sit for two exams at once because of her exam schedule? So there's a foreshadowed event there. Also, I had a question like, what if she had used a time turner to cheat? Like, what if she realized like she got like one question wrong and decided to go back in time and retake the exam and then <laughs> get yeah. the right answer? Like, I always <laughs> wondered about that. Um, page three nineteen, Cornelius Fudge arriving for the appeal slash execution, and it makes it sound like they already decided anyways. Well, guess what? That's a foreshadowed event because they pretty much did. Mm-hmm. Um, then page three twenty one, at the bottom of that, Ron Ron claims you know she's like I think Hermione is right. She's a right old fraud, talking about Professor Trelawney. Ron calling Professor Trelawney a fraud is a funny foreshadowed event because literally in a couple of pages, she gives a really big prediction that we already went over, mm-hmm. right? So uh, then I, I saved the actual prediction. I'm going to read it for you right about, uh, right on it, word for word, because this is, you know, we can't go through this book without reading the prediction that she gives. Yeah, but right before that though, there's two two other things I think. Remember when Parvati Patel came out and said, "Oh, she says I have all the true makings of a seer." What if Parvati Patel actually became a seer later in life? Like, what if it wasn't bull stuff and like <laughs> she actually had the ability to become a seer? I think that's something interesting. I don't know if that you know would be truth or not, or if that if J.K. Rowling ever came out and said that. But I always thought about that. You know, if if you know maybe because we know that she's not really a fraud. Like she does. I mean, she does her fraud like activities during the times when she's not making real predictions. But who knows? Maybe maybe she did see something in Parvati. Who knows? Um, then. Page 323, Harry out-predicts Professor Trelawney about Buckbeak. Remember, he was sitting there saying, mm-hmm. like, oh, no, he's flying away. He's safe. And like, <laughs> yeah. she's like, are you sure you don't see oh, a head falling on the ground? <laughs> like, 
nope. on the ground. Yeah. And yeah. Harry's like, no, man, she's he's safe. And then it's funny because that ended up coming true. Harry was right. He out he out predicted Professor Trelawney right then and there in her own office. <laughs> and then the actual uh, prediction, I'll read it right now. She says, it will happen tonight. The Dark Lord lies alone and friendless, abandoned by his followers. His servant has been chained these 12 years. Tonight, before midnight, the servant will break free and set out to rejoin his master. The Dark Lord will rise again with his servant's aid, greater and more terrible than ever he was. Tonight, before midnight, the servant will set out to rejoin. His master. So, that was that was my harsh voice of Professor Trelawney and her real prediction. And those are my quick five there. You go ahead and give your next five and we'll keep the train rolling on foreshadowed events. You're the uh, foreshadowed and plot guy, man. All I had was five, so it actually works out well. Oh, perfect. Just rip off your five and I'll just rip through the ones I have after that and we'll, we'll be done with uh, foreshadowed. Yeah, you're good. And you actually hit two of my big ones so uh the only other ones i had was so when ron sees scabbers at hagrid's and he tries to like keep escaping um so that was like a big one because you know it foreshadowed peter pettigrew uh, and then in chapter 17 uh cat rat and dog uh when the group hears like the big dog um and then winds up like seeing it with that like you said that jet black dog um, that was foreshadowing of Sirius. So those were the only other ones I had. So Awesome. Then I'll go quickly through the rest of mine. I do have quite a few, but I, like I said, I'll just acknowledge them and where I found them. Page 328, the executioner, Walden McNair. He's an old pal of Malfoy's, and that's going to come up later on because we know what Malfoy is and the group he runs with, and McNair is one of them. Uh, Hermione finds scabbers at Hagrid's, like you said. Um, Scabbers starts freaking out on the walk back to the castle. Page 331, the swish and thud of an axe. That was a foreshadow because we realized it wasn't what we thought it was initially. Page 333, Harry and Hermione run after Ron with, and leave, they leave the invisibility cloak behind. That's a foreshadowed event because if they don't do that, Snape doesn't find it. Snape doesn't take him by surprise. And then, like, you know, all those things don't ensue from there, right? Um, 334, the enormous pale-eyed jet black dog dragged Ron behind it into the Whomping Willow. So two things there. We figure out what the Grim is, and we've not like not the Grim, but what they think was the Grim. And also them you going into the Whomping Willow for the first time. We're realizing there's a tunnel underneath it. Like they knew there was, but now they know how to get into it. And that's yep. gonna come up again, especially in book seven. Um Crookshanks is friends with that dog, is what Harry says, and that's a foreshadow because he was. Mm-hmm. Uh then page 336, there was actually something in page 336 that I wanted to read in the last two paragraphs. Um, she, he, Hermione asks, where does this tunnel come out? She asked breathlessly. I don't know. It's marked on the Marauder's map, but Fred and George said no one's ever gotten into it. It goes off the edge of the map, but it looked like it was heading for Hogsmeade. And then we find out that was actually the Shrieking Shack. So big plot. They're not, not plot hole. Foreshadowed event there. Uh, another foreshadow, or at least full circle, we found out Sirius Black's in Animagus. And <clears throat> page 340, Sirius Black says, There will only be one murder here tonight. That's a foreshadow that does not come true. <laughs> uh, page 342, 
Sirius says, I don't deny it, he said very quietly, but if you knew the whole story, talking about like if he was responsible for Harry's parents' death, and then we figure out what the whole story is. And then when Lupin comes in and says, where is he, Sirius? Talking about Peter Pettigrew. That's a foreshadow. Um, then obviously the, the switch of the Fidelius charm and you know the secret keeper, that was a foreshadow of what, why everything happened the way it did. Page 345, full circle revealed that Lupin's a werewolf. <clears throat> 347, we learn Lupin is Mooney and helped create the Marauders map. That's a full circle moment. Full circle moment again as we learn Scabbers is Peter Pettigrew. Page 352, this was a huge um, foreshadowed event even though it was very close in time. When he said Lupin broke off, there had been a loud creak behind him and the bedroom door had opened of its own accord. All five of them stared at it. Then Lupin strode towards it and looked out into the landing and said, no one there. <clears throat> Why that is a foreshadowed event is because that was Snape coming into the room with the invisibility cloak. And then from there, uh, the full circle, the potion that Snape made Lupin throughout the year was called Wolfsbane Potion. And it lets the drinker keep their mind when they transform. He was You mentioned this earlier. He said, I'm able to curl up in my office, a harmless wolf, and wait for the moon to wane again. Uh, Whomping Willow planted because Lupin came to Hogwarts and the tunnel was built for him to use as well as a shrinking sack. So all of that is a foreshadow event when they talk about the Whomping Willow in the very beginning of the how it was there. His full, when they, he um, went to school. Uh, we hear about the dislike of Snape in more detail in regards to Lupin and Sirius and Snape's mutual dislike of each other and the story of behind, like behind James saving Snape's life. We actually get that full situation played out for us there. And then we even get to see that later on in uh, Order of the Phoenix, like in Snape's memory, not to ruin anything, right? So, then page 358, Snape tells Lupin, this is a big foreshadow. I'm surprised you didn't write this one down, bro. He said, you forgot to take your potion tonight. Oh, okay, that, yeah, that, that was, was good. That's a yeah, big I foreshadow there. That. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, page 364, we learn Crookshanks has been helping Sirius by bringing him like the list of passwords from Neville. That was a full circle comeback around. Um... When we hear the he's at Hogwarts, that was, again, uh, serious talking about Peter Pettigrew, not Harry. We also hear at page 386 when uh, Snape is with Fudge saying like they, they were confounded by the Confundus charm. The Confundus charm makes its first mention here. This is the first time it's mentioned, but it's one of those curses that uh, come up later on. Um, Dumbledore tells Harry Professor Trelawney has made another real prediction before. This comes up huge really, really soon. And... Uh, Order of the Phoenix, page 427, Harry explains to Harry that, uh, Dumbledore explains to Harry that he had sent uh, a deputy to Lord Voldemort that's in Harry's debt, and when a wizard saves another wizard's life, it creates a certain bond between them, and the quote he says afterwards is, the time may come while you will be very glad that you saved Pettigrew's life. That's an awesome foreshadow, yeah, and the last cool. foreshadow I have is Ron inviting Harry to the Quidditch World Cup. Uh, at the end of this book because we know yeah, how that turns out true. afterwards so those are all my foreshadowed events now on to the plot holes i'll let you do your any plot holes that you may have and then i'll go into my plot holes yeah uh the only one i wrote down because i just write down what's really big as far as plot holes um because i realized some of it there's a lot of film plot holes too but i just passed over that but uh, the biggest one is in chapter 21, Hermione's secret. So Hermione says that wizard law, nobody is supposed to change time. She says, no, said Hermione in a terrified whisper. Don't you understand? 
We're breaking one of the most important wizarding laws. Nobody's supposed to change time. Nobody. So my problem with that is, then what's the point of it? Then why are we doing it? Then why are we doing it? (laughs) And you're literally changing time. Like, you literally just rescued Sirius and saved Buckbeak. Like, no one's supposed to change time. So, alright, so you're breaking the law, but you're told not to break the law? So that made no sense to me whatsoever. And why would it even be created at that point? Like, why would it be created? So that was my big one that was like, really? Like, they just put that in there? It would have been one thing if she had said, only um, the magical mysteries department in the Ministry of Magic can do this, is supposed to do this. Then that would make sense because then it's like, okay, well, Dumbledore told us to do it anyways or something like that. Like, at least I can make sense of that. But otherwise, what is even the point of a time turner? Like, why even invent those? Like, is it just, like, was the point to really just go back in time to make sure you get more crap done? Like, was that the goal, to get more shit done all the time? Like, I I don't understand. So that was my biggest plot hole there, and I'll turn it over to you, my man. Bro, I mean, that's one of the biggest ones I had, too. I actually wrote the same quote down. Nobody's supposed to change time. Nobody on page 398. Like, we we got the same one there. Um, Other ones I have. uh, Why did Peter Pettigrew stay at Hogwarts after leading everyone to believe that Crookshanks killed him as scabbers? Why didn't he just run away then? Like, why did we have to find him at Hagrid's? Like, what was the whole point of him, like, faking his death from Crookshanks? Remember, like, he pulled out the sheet and there was blood on it and there was, like, tufts of the cat's fur when he when Ron yeah. accused Hermione of Crookshanks finally killing him. And so, like, why didn't Pet- Pettigrew just run there? Why would he stick around Hogwarts? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That, like, you know, yeah. if he was going to run, why didn't he run then? No one would know his identity and he would still be safe. And Bla- yeah. Sirius Black would still be, like, no one would believe his story. That mean that been, there was no reason for Peter Pettigrew to stick around after you know he faked his death the second time with Crookshanks, so that's one of them I have. Yeah. Uh, page three thirty eight. This isn't so much a plot hole as much as like it's a it's a poor characterization of the film. Now, in page three thirty eight, and this is also in the beginning of the book too, Sirius Black is described as having uh, hair that hung to his elbows. His elbows are down here near like you know near the waist not like you know shoulder length hair so the character description or at least you know how they made him look wasn't exactly how it was portrayed in the book I can forgive it it's just one of those things that's bothered me like they tell you exactly how he's supposed to look and then you just don't make him look like how he's supposed to look I don't know um also on page 350 I I want I'm wondering I want your take on this because I think this is a big plot hole but maybe you can help me with it because, or maybe anybody in the audience too, because I'm really, I don't know what to feel about this. On page 353, it's quoted of Lupin saying, as long as I take it in the week preceding the full moon, I keep my mind when I transform. So if he forgot to take it tonight, because remember Snape said, you forgot to take your potion tonight. So if he, is it something that you have to take every single night of the week leading up to the full moon? Or is this just something that you can take at any point in time as long as it's before the full moon? And if that's the case, Lupin doesn't strike me as a guy who wouldn't get on top of that and do it, let's say, the Monday before the Saturday of the full moon. Like he, It seems to me like he would have taken it at least once in that week preceding. So is this potion something that you need to take nightly from the start of the week till the full moon hits? Or like, how does that work out? Because then 
it doesn't make sense because if he would have drank it at least one time, I have to believe Lupin being the, the kind of guy that he is, you know, honest, upfront, like just a good all-around dude, would not put anyone in danger by waiting to the last day to take the potion. You know what I mean? That's not him. He's not going to put people's lives in danger by waiting to the last day. So if he did take it earlier in the week, shouldn't that have been sufficient for him not to be changing when the moon came out that night? Or... Is it something, again, do you have to take it every single night of the week leading up? I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? I actually was thinking about this, too, when I read it. Um, I don't think it's like that pill that sometimes ladies take to make sure babies don't happen. I don't think it's like that. My thought was, this is the only way I can make it make sense was it's just that one potion that comes out of the smoking goblet that you have to take one time in the week before at some point. So my only thought was Lupin just got so distracted with how many times he's been, you know, had to miss work already catching up on it that that was like the one night where Snape was saying, you know, you forgot to take it. I guess like at this point but honestly I think it's probably a plot hole because otherwise why would he say you forgot to take your potion tonight he should have said you forgot to take your potion Lupin or like Like, this week you'd have to say yeah or this week like he said because why make it a point to say you have to take it in the week leading up to the full moon so to your point because like I thought I thought it the same way you did you know you take the potion once during the week and you're good and we know yeah. because Lupin's terrified of potentially harming other people, he's not going to wait to the last day to take it. He's not going to wait the day yeah, of the full moon to take that. it. Like the day of the no full way. moon, there's no chance. So that's a yeah. plot hole thing that I had an issue with. Um, also on page 358, Professor Snape saw the Marauder's map on Lupin's desk. Why do I call this a plot hole? Because that's how he knew where they were. If Snape saw them on the Marauder's map... He would have seen who else with them? Peter Pettigrew. That never comes up. He never ever mentions seeing him in the same room as Lupin, Harry, Ron, Hermione, Sirius. Like, he's there. Like, like, if you see it, if you look at the Marauders map, he's going to be there. So either he looked at it and didn't care because he just had that much hatred for Sirius Black. He's like, ah, whatever. Who cares about Peter Pettigrew, even though he's supposed to be dead for 12 <laughs> years? Like, let's just, yeah, the gloss over that. So that was my issue. Is like, Snape, you saw the Marauders app. You would know. And he's a smart guy. Like, yeah. he's a very intelligent guy. He would pay attention. Yeah. So he would definitely catch Peter Pettigrew's name on there. And so mm. the fact... That's a big plot hole. It's a very interesting... Big one. Huge. Yeah. My next one is about the time turner, about the exact usage of it when it comes to them going back in time the three hours. So remember when Dumbledore says it's five minutes to midnight, three turns should do it. Let's do the math. Midnight goes back one hour is 11, goes back two hours is 10, goes back three hours is nine. When does the sun set at 9 p.m.? (laughs) <laughs> like like i don't like because i'm yeah, and the reason why i say sunset so and just so, to make it make sense to the listeners yeah. that's when buckbeak's execution was scheduled for was sundown of that day so if it's going down because remember like they were saying like the the sun was starting to go down behind the trees of the forbidden forest like mm-hmm. what since when does the sun set at 9 p.m three hours to do it three hours should no do it. like you yeah, you could maybe you could have convinced me 8 p.m you could have convinced me like with four hours, nine p.m. at night. It is the sun is not setting at nine p.m. at night. I'm sorry, 
Like makes no sense. No, no sense. So we agree that and that's actually, a plot hole too. <laughs> uh, oh, I agree. It's a major plot hole because what we'll talk about in my interesting facts at one point. Uh, if that's the case, and his execution was at sundown, Buckbeak should be dead. Yeah. Buckbeak should be dead. Like, sorry, like that's it. And you'll find out even more why. Like, this shouldn't even be an option. Very, very like, it strange. Shouldn't, shouldn't be an option. Yeah, I'll let you take it away. <laughs> then, uh, then just um, also for Sirius Black here. Like, remember, what's the biggest thing that we learned about hippogriffs? How do you approach them to let them know that it's okay for you to touch them? You've got to you bow. you've got to bow. At what point did Sirius yeah. Black bow to bu- bu- uh, Buckbeak? Getting <laughs> not once. Oh, he just no. jumped on his back like it was all cool. Like <laughs> like Never. like remember not like once. Draco Malfoy not literally once. got hurt for insulting Buckbeak, saying, "Oh, he's a great ugly brute," and like he still <laughs> bowed and was allowed to approach him and pet him. That's what <laughs> happened. Like. They're, Sirius Black never once bowed to Buckbeak to get on Buckbeak's back to allow them to be friends. Like that's that's something yeah. just never happened, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. Next one too. Why you know what did what did Hermione do to Neville and the Sorcerer's Stone when they had to get out and go down to the trapdoor? She used what charm? Petrific Totalis, right? A full mm-hmm. body bind. Why didn't we do that with Peter Pettigrew? Why would I have no idea? Like, I have no idea. At that point in time, Hermione was an 11 year old witch, was smart enough to use a full body bind at Neville so he couldn't move or do anything until someone found him and, like, revived him. If we did that to Peter Pettigrew, we don't have an issue. No, let's just bind him up with some fucking coils and we'll be all good. Let's. Yeah, go ahead, Ben. Brings up another plot hole. Why didn't Snape do that to Lupin? Yeah, 100%. Like, <laughs> otherwise he couldn't have broke the manacles. Yeah. Like, why didn't he just do that? Like, it's just simple stuff. Like, it's just really simple. Like, you know, this whole thing would have been avoided if we just, you know, used the right curse here to yeah. put him on there. Then, um, <laughs> also, here we go. This is a big plot hole, too. Page 424, when Lupin gives back the invisibility cloak to uh, Harry, he says, I brought this back from the Shrieking Shack last night. Well, guess what? No, you didn't. Because remember, when he left the Shrieking Sack, he said he put Harry's uh, invisibility cloak into his robes. And so they left, and then he transformed into a wolf. So how did you get the invisibility cloak from the Shrieking Shack if you left the Shrieking Shack and you burst out of your robes because you turned into a wolf? Yep. I, like, like, dude, that's exactly. yeah, unbelievable. 100%. And then when I'm talking about like the owl scores and the newts, why is this a plot hole? When in the world, when we learn about how you take your ordinary wizarding levels, we what happens? When do you get your test results? Over the summer. Yeah, that's why. You I get them delivered that. over the summer by mail, waiting to see how many owls you got. So how do we know that Fred? And, oh yeah, and they already knew how did, their answer. Yeah, yeah how did Percy know yeah. how many newts he got? How did Fred and George know they scraped a handful of owls? How in the yeah, world? That was just right there, right, right then and there. Point. Like that's a huge, yeah. that's a huge issue, big problem. That that's so true. Yeah, I just kind of like accepted it. But yeah, I should have wrote that down because that's a big one. Yeah. And then the last one that I have before we talk about the time turner, like you know, I've got one more after that. Like so, I got this one, and I've got what I have just the issue with the time turner itself. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, so page four thirty three when Sirius admits that he bought the firebolt for Harry. I'm sorry, wouldn't an escaped 
prisoner's vault be monitored of gold going in and out? Like, we just accept... Oh, yeah. We just accept the fact that Crookshanks was able to place an order. Here, take it from Sirius Black's vault. You know, that convicted murderer who escaped Azkaban? We're gonna let oh, that yeah. money go in and out. There's no sh nothing shady here, guys. Nothing shady here at all. Or let's talk about the fact they just, like, locked Sirius Black in the tower... And even on the film, all Hermione had to do was say "Bombarda," where it was just unlocked the whole time in the book. No, he, no, she said she said she said "Alohomora" in the book. She used the "Alohomora" charm in the book. Oh, okay, "Alohomora." Yeah. but let's be real. Like, if this is the most mad killer on the loose that everyone still thinks because they don't believe two thirteen-year-olds, either Dumbledore like left it that way on purpose and tried to convince everybody, which maybe that was Dumbledore trying to save the day last minute again when he did absolutely no work at all. Right. Um, or like, wouldn't you think there's, it's a little bit more difficult to get in there versus just walking there, like literally flying up, unlocking the door, <laughs> have a nice life. You would have thought serious on top of that being the, one of the most powerful wizards in the world. <laughs> would have been able to break the lock to go free i i don't know yeah i'm just with you that out there and so like that's those are, those are the big ones that i have all of them and then just the last thing here the time turner like you know if the time turner worked like why wouldn't they just go back in time to stop catastrophic events from happening like Voldemort rising to power or harry's parents being murdered they like, like what's the point of this whole time turner like what what do you need to go back in time for what are the like limitations and like all that we just don't get anything from it like like we didn't know. Like, I know you got some good things for your interesting facts, and I can't wait to hear it. I just wanted to know, like, in what world did we just like not explain something that huge and profound to the whole story? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, silly. But uh, yeah. that, yeah, that leaves the plot holes and potential discrepancies there. And then it's time for our top five magical creatures, brother. Are you ready for that? Yeah, man. I'll let you uh, take it oh, away. Oh no, I've been, I've been going on and on with my plot holes. It's your, it's your turn. We're gonna start from. Number five, then four, three, two, one. I'll let you cool. take it away. Give us your uh, your your number five, and give us the reason why you put it number five. Yeah, I got <coughs> Buckbeak as number five. So uh, the Hippogriff, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, the reason I ranked him up there though wasn't even because of you know he had the like head of an eagle, body of a horse kind of thing. Um, and the talons and all that stuff. It was more because of, as you were talking about, the intelligence of Buckbeak. Like, the fact you have to bow before. Like, the fact he knows etiquette and formality. It shows some genius level there to this animal that there's more to him. Besides just, you know, the gorgeous orange eyes and all that stuff. And swarming over, like, you know, flying over everything. It was the intelligence that got me. So I ranked him as number five. What about you? Awesome, man. I actually ranked the Kappas number five. And I'll tell okay, you why I yeah. ranked the Kappas number five. Number one, their classification in the Ministry of Magic's like danger zone. Like remember the Basilisk was a uh, quintuple meaning a five X? The Kappas are four yeah. X rated, so that's pretty darn dangerous. You know, and even how yeah, they're they're yeah, they are what's it called? Described and characterized as looking like scaly monkeys. Like 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 uh, like they they said there are creepy water dwellers that look like scaly monkeys and their webbed hands itching to strangle unwitting waiters in their ponds. And like, it, then why I couldn't put any of the other ones above it is because even Professor Lupin says, uh, you know, if we've like talking about the Grindylow, well, 
you guys have been able to handle Kappas, you'll have no problem with the Grindylows. Meaning, like, the Kappas must have some sort of, like, danger to them. If they're rated, like, a, a quadruple X on danger classification, they look like, yeah. they look like creepy monkeys, and they strangle, like, you know, people into the ponds. Like, that's just, for me, that was enough to give it to number five spot over things such as, like, the Red Caps, the Hinky Punks, the Grindylow. Kappas got my number five spot. Uh, go ahead and give us some, your number four. Yeah, man. By the way, the Kappas, I just picture, like, all these Kappas, like, baboons just, like, will trample you getting on cars or ripping faces off. But they're like, underwater. They're, 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 they're only water dwellers. Yeah, okay, yeah, I guess so. So, I mean, I guess if you were... Creepy like, underwater monkeys like, sound scary as heck, man. Yeah, like the uh, almost, like, piranha fish that'll, like, group up on you or something. Yeah. Um, going into my number four, I actually put the... I always say the Bogart, the Bogart. Uh, I thought that was cool because the fact that it'll change into whatever your fear is, that's uh, that's really awesome. And the only way to beat it is to think of not necessarily like happy thoughts, but almost like overcome it with laughter or something. Like think of something different. So I thought it was cool. I thought the uh, Bogart was a very interesting uh creature and the fact that you can actually keep it in like wardrobes and stuff very interesting the way that can be caught so i thought it was pretty cool heck yeah uh for me number four are the hippogriffs so i i've got hippogriffs in my number four spot a lot of the same reasons you mentioned the way it looked it seemed really really cool the intelligence the fact that it has such dignity that you have to bow before it before you're allowed to approach it like it reminds me almost Similar to the centaurs, like it, outside the fact that it can't communicate in English, like it has a lot of intelligence. They're beautiful creatures. They come in all different assortments of colors and variations and temperaments. I'm sure, uh, and the fact that you know they they can fly and like yeah. they're like horses that can <laughs> fly that look like eagles. It's just I, we've never seen anything like that at all. It was very very original for her to come up with, like you know. That I just I was really impressed. I you know I'm trying to think of another animal that like you know another mythical creature that might kind of resemble that, I, and maybe I a griffin. A griffin. The griffin yeah. is the only one I could possibly think of, but still, hippogriff was very very uh, original, and I, I enjoyed it. And so for that reason, hippogriff got the number four spot for me. Take it away with your number three. Yeah, man. Uh, three, I put the Dementors, just because they're they were badass. That was creepy as hell. Um, the fact that I thought it was so creative how she made their power—it wasn't like Death Eaters or anything that we'll talk about later on. Like their power was literally clamping its jaws, which wasn't like shown as much in the film. Really, wasn't shown at all because they just sucked the soul out wherever they went in the film, apparently. But, like, removed its hood as its last weapon, clamped it on there, and then sucked your soul out. Like, that was, uh, especially, like, to challenge the barrier as a children's book and do that. Uh, that was a genius. I thought it was great. Um, and, and, and let's be honest, they looked absolutely terrifying. So, um, yeah, I ranked them at number three. Heck yeah, man. For me, number three are werewolves. I put the werewolves in my number three spot. Number one, because we didn't get a lot of description of what it looks like when he transforms. I was, I myself would have liked to see like a Van Helsing type deal, where like you know standing yeah. on 
two legs and like kind of like ripped and like a jack thing that kind of was a monster but still had somewhat of a mind to know what's you know just basic instinct but here at the end of the day we only see as of right now professor lupin he's a tame werewolf for the most part and when he transforms we only get what we see in the film and i don't think that they made it his werewolf thing looked yeah. very cool at all. It was like gangly and long, and it just didn't look intimidating really at all. I wasn't a fan. It makes sense, but yeah, you know, and I'm not saying negative things about it, like you know, because like I'm, I'm just <laughs> saying why it's not ranked higher, right? So that's why the werewolf's yeah. number three on my list. It's still a really cool concept. I mean, obviously, we always have these like you know vampires versus werewolves type of thing going on. Luckily, there's not so much vampire stuff here in Harry Potter, but the werewolf is a theme that's come across many times. This isn't the first time werewolves have come up, so couldn't rank it any higher but uh, i still thought it was a nice touch and the story about how you can become a werewolf and the, the steps it takes to either prevent it or you know manage it once you are a werewolf was interesting to me so for that reason werewolves took the number three spot give us your number two number two i put grindy lows grindy lows <laughs> yeah man loved me some grindy lows the water demons um First of all, for everyone out there that's listening or watching on YouTube, if you ever looked up a picture of Grindy Lowe's, they look badass. Like, living in the sea, little tiny octopus demon things. They reminded me of, like, a demon child or something. Like, if you watch, like, an old Exorcist movie or something, where, like, the kid turns around and his eyes, like, go black and I... <laughs> like that, but underwater. Um... Of course, they're not described with tridents or anything, but I just pictured, like, maybe they had a little trident on them that they could stab you with. So, uh, <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, so, and I love the fact that Remus uh, carried it, like, in that tank with him. Almost like someone kept their 8-track player everywhere they went, just walked along, and it was just floating in that little tank, like, hitting against the walls everywhere they went. Uh, just entirely... Um, aggressive and antagonistic so I, I ranked grindy lows number two man i think they're really overlooked uh that's they're badass uh so off to you for number two number two for me i put the boggarts uh because at the end of the day if you think about you know being top five is all about your own personal opinion right it's your favorite but for me i like to have like a reason on why like I put some ranked higher than others. The reason why I put Bogart so high above the other creatures at number two is it it really generates whatever you're afraid of, it comes out as. And if you don't have the mental fortitude, you can basically be into submission by something that you don't even know. What Professor Lupin says is no one knows what a Bogart looks like in its true form because as soon as you see it, it immediately turns into what frightens you the most, right? And so... I just found that, like, because, like, even it taking the shape of a Dementor was enough to make Harry pass out. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, just, like, it was so crazy that something so small that they tackled in their third year coming out of a wardrobe. Because it doesn't seem like it does anything, like, attacks anyone, but it drives fear into the heart of people because they know, for me, you know, if I, uh, if I saw a bogger, it, I would probably be in a lake surrounded by alligators that would be the bogger would turn into for me like you know and that i wouldn't know yeah, i wouldn't know if i could keep awesome. a clear mind to like figure out how to you know laugh that off or like turn it into something so 
you know, it really kind of puts you to the, the test. Like, you know, how mentally strong are you when you're facing your strongest fear? So I had to put that at number two for me. That's badass. I just imagine you standing there and then all of a sudden it comes out of the wardrobe and like the water, like the lake water just slowly gets like an inch above your feet as you're stepping in it. And then this big ass gator Ugh. like runs out at you. That's terrifying. <laughs> I would laugh my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd come save you, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, yeah. What do you got um, for number one? Number one, I got werewolves, man. You know, I'm a werewolf guy. Thought it was badass. Which is ironic because everyone is like, you look more like an Edward Cullen with the pale face you got going on. But uh, werewolves, I thought it was awesome. Um, the way they described it in the book and, you know, him transforming and the way I even saw it on film with like his pupils dilated. I've always been a werewolf fan. Uh, werewolves, there's a big part of my interesting facts too uh, that's really cool about them. Um, and I did like like how you said uh, J.K. Rowling took another side of this versus just doing the whole vampire werewolves thing. Like you took an animagus trying to hold down the werewolf, and it was um, you know gave that other side too of how they're not just you know vile crazy creatures. Like you can actually get that human side of things uh, that's trying to control it, and you have the wolfsbane potion. So. I just thought it was very creative, uh, the whole new side of it, too. And I'm a big werewolf fan. So, uh, werewolves number one for me, man. How about you? For me, it, it had to be the Dementors, right? The Dementors have this crazy effect on everyone around them. Harry was passing out from them. Even Hermione, when enough of them came around, she fainted. They've got the ability to suck your soul out of your body. <laughs> like, they can leave you yeah. as good as dead without being dead. They can leave you an empty shell of yourself. Nothing else can do that. Let's also talk about the fact that Harry, his arch enemy is Lord Voldemort, the most feared dark wizard that ever existed. And when he faced the Bogger, he didn't think about the Dark Lord. He thought about the Dementors. Like they, he's, yeah. he's like, nah, screw Voldemort, man. I'm terrified of these Terrifying. things, man. Like, Terrifying. They, they guard yeah. a prison of the darkest, meanest, evilest witches and wizards there are, and they are the bad badasses in that prison. Like they like even those prisoners cower in fear, they lose their minds because of the effect that these Dementors have on them. Like the Dementors are some badasses, man. Like they are my absolute number one favorite magical creature and prisoner of Azkaban. Or Azkaban, I don't know why I said it like that. That was weird. Uh, but just to give a quick rundown i won't give any explanation i'll just rank it listed from five to one so that way they know mine i want you to do the same thing don't give any reasoning behind it just go five to one in an order so that way they can write it down if they want number five for me is kappas number four hippogriffs number three werewolves number two bogger number one dementors that's my list from five to one give me yours bro and let's move on to our interesting facts yep i got five hippogriffs four bogger three dementors uh, two grindy lows, grindy lows, and werewolves as number one. Bang, bang. Awesome. I love doing those top fives, man. They're a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> good stuff, man. Yeah, let's I go on. to do them all the time. Let's go on to our interesting facts. Like, I know you got some good stuff for interesting facts. I got some cool stuff as well uh, yeah. for some of these things. So, uh, how about you kick us off with the interesting facts and we'll go from there? Cool. Um, so, for my interesting facts, first ones I conquered here. Uh, you know, we were talking about the newts and the owls exam. So once again, uh, newt stands for nastily exhausting wizards test. By the way, this is actually not required. Um, 
by anyone to graduate. This is more looked at as almost like if you ever taken AP exams in school, uh, the top of the top um, gets to take these. Um, they are used a lot for actually very high-end positions. Um, for instance, the Ministry of Magic only accepts applicants that have taken newts and they need to have five tests in the subject of the Aurora, Aurora subject and all have outstanding or exceeds expectations. So an outstanding is more like a B and exceeds expectations is the highest grade you can get. So that's an A. And um, this is required by the Ministry of Magic. Also, uh, if you want to go into, in the Ministry of Magic, into wizard law enforcement. So that's where they require it there. So not all positions there, like if you're gonna be a secretary or something, you don't need to. But like wizard law enforcement would require that. Um, so also like uh, really cool. So Fred and George actually never wound up taking this test. They wound up opening that shop later on we'll talk about. Um, but ordinary wizarding exams uh, need to be completed before you actually attempt to even take the newts. Uh, the newt level merit, of course, is like the highest level merit at Hogwarts, uh, also other wizarding schools. Um, the student actually gets to pick the subject in the newts in their sixth year. Um, and what's interesting about newts is it's not like ordinary wizard tests. Like it, it specific subjects you'll pick that you'll use for a career later on that could possibly benefit you. Um, specialized subjects are even harder to be able to be accepted to take. Uh, those specialized main, most, the two revolving specialized subjects that most people try to take uh, to test on are Aurora, because the Ministry of Magic, and also Alchemy is a big one there. Um, it is known that for the newts, students will begin studying their sixth and seventh years and will devote eight to nine hours every night for two years. So that's hell on earth. That would be awful. Um, Professor Snape actually is known to be one of the hardest to be accepted to take the newts in his class. Uh, it is known that the potions newt in order to be able to be accepted in his class to take it, you have to have an outstanding, outstanding on every single OWL's examination. Um, uh, Nonverbal spells is also a, a newt subject that a lot of people will take, oh, choose to take like their sixth year. Um, defense Against the Dark Arts also uh, is a specific subject uh, that is very hard to be able to take and actually on that test uh, you must be able to perform actually in front of a teacher not just write down the Patronus charm <laughs> which Harry uh, did in his third year that we just saw here also you got to be able to perform the protein charm which actually Hermione winds up doing in her sixth year we'll talk about later on which is you know allowing several objects uh, to change for a common purpose is basically what it does. But uh, the way this is graded, which is also the way the owls are graded, so you can get an O for outstanding, an E for exceeds uh, expectations, an A for acceptable, uh, P for poor, 
D for dreadful and T for troll, <laughs> which uh, troll is failing. And ironically, the only two grades that even matter or exceeds expectations and outstanding because you're using the newts to go into specific careers. And most of these careers only accept you if you've gotten an exceeds or outstanding on the newts. So like the other ones, you might as well just try to retake it again, which you can retake it again, but most people do not because it takes so much time to study. They just get it. If they fail it, they just say, screw it. Um, the owls, uh, you know, they take in their fifth year is just ordinary wizarding levels, uh, is what that stands for. Standardized test. Um, and it's just regular specific subjects at Hogwarts that I'll tell you about. But basically what this is, is once you pass that, it's actually, this is what's really cool about it. Successfully completing the owl's examination is considered by Hogwarts that that student is a law abiding citizen. So if you get expelled from Hogwarts, but you've already taken the owls and passed it, your wand doesn't get snapped, which is really cool. You get to keep your wand because you're still considered a law-abiding citizen and you're able to successfully use magic and know the law outside of school. So I thought that was really cool there. Um, students will begin preparing for owls in their fourth year. Of course, it's not nearly as rigorous as the newts but it's still stressful for students um and this is what's really cool on both of these exams uh cheating <laughs> has been attempted multiple times if you get caught cheating you are immediately expelled and they do snap your wand uh on the owls they don't snap your wand on the newts because you've passed the owls but you're kicked out <laughs> like you're kicked out of hogwarts at that point but um, they do have anti-cheating spells placed on both of these tests. Uh, they detect all remember-alls, auto-answer quills, self-correcting ink, and detachable cribbling cuffs, which these are all used to cheat on these exams, which is really cool. Um, it is said that despite... Uh, trying to keep people not from cheating at least one student has been caught every year since 1896 and expelled which is wild um and uh so from here uh the owls that's held in order newts you can take on your whatever specific ones on your own so the schedule can change but the way it's done in order is so uh the schedule is on monday you'll take the potions exam and the charms exam tuesday you'll take transfiguration and care for magical creatures wednesday you'll take herbology astronomy divination arithmacy and then thursday you'll take history and magic and defense against the dark arts this is over two weeks by the way uh friday you can take ancient ruins um, muggle studies is the only one um, that hasn't been defined because you can actually choose which day you want to pick it on and also um, it is an elective so like you don't have to take muggle studies so it's not like you don't have to put it on there if you want it as like a uh, minor or something you can add it to the owls but it's not something every student has to take on the owls but the other subjects are concrete and you have to take those <laughs> so and if you don't pass 
sucks to suck. Uh, so what's really cool about this, um, I actually was so interested in this. Go to pottermore.com. You can find it there. You can see an example of the test. The first page of the charms examination. I, unless I literally was like studying these answers, I don't know if I could even pass it. Um, example of the first 12 questions I wrote down for you. So the exam, uh, charms examination, you can see this on pottermore.com. So first thing you put, uh, it says the exam theory of charms. Then you put your name and your house. Uh, then it says under it, use magical regulation 572 azul ink only because that's the only ink allowed because people it's the only one that is known to be detected on uh the cheating uh anti-cheating charm that's on there so it will catch you if you cheat um first questions uh so the questions are first one identify the spell which causes causes bogeys uh, Britain slang for dried nasal mucus to turn into bats and attack the vi victim. List significant historical moments when used this. So like the first part, I was like, oh, that's easy. And then it said list all the historical moments when this has ever happened. Okay, that's question one. <laughs> question two. Give the correct name for the shield charm. Which spell can it not deflect and why? And these all got to be answered in Quill. There is no multiple choice here. Uh, three, identify the charm which turns an object into a port key. We'll talk about that coming up uh, in a couple weeks. A device which transports the user to the desired destination. Describe what happens. Not too hard there. Pepsky's uh, Pestronomy is the genuine charm. Uh, if not conjured correctly in Latin terminology, what occurs? Describe it. Um, Moi Fliato, describe this charm and its actions, suggested options, suggest other options for etymology, uh, so other options for that spell. Uh, question number six, what other effects does the Recumstra charm invoke apart from the uncontrollable, unpreventable laughter? Give at least two examples. Question seven, describe, describe the complex interaction between Coloportis and Lohamora spells, so we've heard of Alohomora. Question eight, which spells causes animal beings of lesser intelligence to attack when summoned? Give an example. Question nine, which charm does the Libra Corpus neutralize? What would be an alternative spell to have for the same effect? Question 10, the Finite Incantatum, which we've heard before. Does this end or refine a spell? Describe in detail. Questions 11 and 12 are if a mobliarbus and mobilius corpus are variations of the same basic spell, identify the Latin word which links them. Also, give an example of this charm and how it's in use. So you can see like how hard this is, and that was just the first 12 questions. Uh, next interesting fact, this is really cool. We talked about this a little bit. I told you I'd tell you today. How was Lupin bitten as a child? So this is really cool. Uh, so Lupin's father, Lyle Lupin, uh, married Hope, who was a muggle. And after, um, while they were together, he actually joined the disposal of magical creatures, which is interesting because we've talked about Buckbeak a lot here. Uh, so Voldemort, when he was first getting rise to power, when he was uh, at Hogwarts, um, he was known 
for recruiting Death Eaters that would uh, basically keep, um, they call them dark creatures um, in control as like pets almost, uh, and also trying to recruit them. Well, one that was uh, in the Death Eaters' control was uh and has sworn loyalty to voldemort was called a uh, grayback fenrir uh, grayback so, yeah <laughs> yeah uh um but the ministry over this developed a uh, services of authorities on dark creatures and a department for regulation control of magical creatures well lyle actually uh joined the department services of authorities of dark creatures why he was working for the disposal of magical creatures when he was there um well grayback the werewolf had been brought in for trial um for the death of two muggle children um and uh, it says that werewolf registry at the time because the organization of dark creatures had just gotten started was very bad uh so most werewolves were not documented so he wasn't documented when he got there um he claimed to be a muggle tramp and nothing more uh basically a prostitute um and actually it says two overworked members um of the committee uh were wound up being the influencers on this case and just let him off because they didn't want to deal with it. It is described that Lyle in the court case uh, described Grayback as he was being uh, sentenced as not guilty, solace, evil, deserving of death. In the and this was in the courtroom, and then he reminded the accounts. Uh, he reminded the accounts of what he did and accused both of the. Um, he accused the judge of actually being biased. Uh, the head committee actually had to apologize to Grayback and released him. And Grayback set a target um, with a werewolf pack that was being uh, sworn loyalty to Voldemort of Death Eaters um, to go attack Lyle and, and kill him. Well, what happened was it was Lupin's fifth birthday when he was sleeping in his bed Um uh, Grayback climbed through the window of Lupin's uh, room and Lyle ran in and hurt him and tried to attack him uh, tried to fight him off with a spell but before he was fought off Grayback uh, bit Lupin uh, while he was actually in his bed um, Lyle didn't kill Grayback he actually got loose because first thing he did was he ran over to his boy um, and he, the only way he even drove Grayback off from killing him was it says uh, he actually fought him off with some of the most, it just, it doesn't say exact ones, just powerful curses, some of the most powerful curses ever used in wizardry. Uh, it says Lyle never forgave himself for working uh, in the Department of Magical Creatures, much less uh, the Dark Creatures organization. And that the attack of Lupin, uh, he feared his own son would actually resent him. Um, and it wasn't until years later he actually told him what happened, uh, the true story of it. He just told him he was eaten. You know, he just happened to be bit by werewolves that were coming through the town and ransacking the town they were in at, the at, at night for years. So that's how Lupin was bit. Uh, my final interesting fact here. So um, this is about the time turner law. 
So there's one big law which causes a problem with everything, which there's actually hundreds of time turner laws I didn't know about, and it's controlled by the Department of Department of Mysteries in the ministry. Um, so here's the big time turner law, and it's actually a big quote from Professor Sol Croker, who is a member of the Department of Mysteries. As our investigations currently stand, the longest period that may be relived without the possibility of serious harm to the traveler or time itself is around five hours. So you are not allowed to go back five hours, more than five hours. It says we have been able to encase single hour reversal charms, which are unstable and benefit from containment and small enchanted hourglasses that may be worn around the witch or wizard's neck revolved according to the number of hours the user wishes, wishes to relive. All attempts to travel back further than three hours have resulted in catastrophic harm to the witch or wizard involved. It was not realized for many years why time travels over years and distances that wizards have trouble surviving journeys. All such experiments have been abandoned since 1899 when Eloise Mintumble became trapped for a period of five days in the year 1402. Now we understand that her body had aged five centuries in its return when she was coming back to time to the present. It was irregrettably damaged. She died in St. Mungo's Hospital for magical uh, magical uh, mysteries is what it says. Maladies. And injury, melodies, that's melodies. it. Magical. I couldn't read my writing. And injuries shortly later after we managed to retrieve her. What is more, her five days at that distant past caused great disturbance in life paths for all those she met, changing the course of their lives so dramatically that no fewer than 25 of their descendants vanished in the present, having been unborn at that point. Finally, there were alarming signs during the days following Madame Mantumble's recovery that time itself has been disturbed by such a serious branch of its laws. Tuesday, following her reappearance, lasted two and a half full days, whereas Thursday shot by in space for over four hours. The Ministry of Magic had a great deal of trouble in covering this up since that time. The most stringent laws and penalties have been placed around studying time travel. Even the use of very limited amount of time turners at the ministry's disposal is hedged around hundreds of laws. So there's the hundreds of laws. While not as potentially dangerous as skipping five centuries, the reuse of a single hour can still have dramatic consequences, and the Ministry of Magic seeks the structurist guarantees that it permits the use of the rare and powerful objects. It would surprise most of the magical community to know that time turners were generally only used to solve the most trivial problems of time management and never or greater more purposes. Because the human mind cannot comprehend time, so it cannot comprehend the damage that will ensue if we presume to tamper with its laws. So like this causes like a big problem for me with a lot of things. Um, just opens up a lot of plot holes. Um, there was another moment too. It says after you know Hermione turned hers in, they did have this moment. It was three years after Hermione uh, gave hers back. Um, 
so I guess it would be their sixth year uh, when they were in, uh, this would be Half-Blood Prince, but actually the Department of Mysteries um, had a conflict over the entire stock because there were wizards that were trying to do more important things and change time, and actually they destroyed all of the time turners that existed in that year. So time turners no longer exist. J.K. Rowling did say this because it opened so many plot holes. I went far too lightheartedly into the subject of time travel in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. While I do not regret it opened up a vast number of while I do not regret it, it opened up a vast number of problems for me. Because, after all, if wizards could go back and undo problems, where were my future plots? I solved the problem to my own satisfaction in stages. Firstly, I had Dumbledore and Hermione emphasize how dangerous it would be to be seen in the past, to remind the reader that there might be unforeseen and dangerous consequences as well as solutions in time travel. Secondly, I had Hermione give back the only time turner to even enter Hogwarts. Thirdly, I smashed all remaining time turners during the battle in the Department of Mysteries, removing the possibility of reliving even the short periods in the future. This is just one example of the ways in which, when writing fantasy novels, one must be careful uh, what one invents. For every benefit, there's usually a drawback. So I really thought it was good of her. Like, I thought that was really big of her to admit her faults. I mean, that's something anyone could have made a mistake on, uh, just trying to be creative. Um, then the last interesting fact I have was, how do you play Exploding Snap? Pretty cool. Uh, it's actually played with a deck of cards. Um, two players turn up the cards at the exact same moment at the exact same time when two pictures on the cards match you know whether it's six of diamonds you know ace of clubs anything um they say snap and they first hit their wand against the card uh, what happens is the winner gets both cards for the first one that hits the card um, when all the cards are gone the one player has won the hard part of this game is the more cards you get the faster the deck starts to shuffle. So there's less of a chance of the card turning up at the same time. So it says one game of snap could take hours. It reminded me of like uh, war yeah. combined with rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> yeah, so that's all my interesting facts, man. So so I've got a couple interesting facts about the prison Azkaban itself. Um, before, I do, awesome. before I do that though, I just I, I want to touch on that time turner thing because that still doesn't make any sort of sense in terms of if they were around in 1890 or whatever uh mm -hmm. that's still way before the events happened that voldemort came to power so like mm -hmm. we could still be using them like obviously not right now like we couldn't use them and go back 20 plus years or whatever but in that moment like we could go back hours like you know that's that's one of those things where it might be worth it like you know snapping voldemort's wand or whatever it may be you know, I, like, I just, you could always go back in time and fix those things, like, right after, you know, those big things happen. Like, Harry's murder, like, what, what could have happened yeah. just potentially is afterwards, you know, you go back three hours, you take Polyjuice Potion, turn into Peter Pettigrew, tell Voldemort, hey, guess what? They're not actually here. They're over here. And then like, he doesn't know where to find them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just so many things that right. could have happened. But to just yeah. to just bring them up. And only use them as uh, an excuse to get to Once. all the classes. Yeah. It just 
we yeah. could have done something different. But like you said, it's great for her to come out and say, hey, you know what? Potentially, I could have done this a little bit differently and make it make more sense universally. So I can appreciate mm-hmm. that fact. But it's just one of those things that's always bothered me about the series is the time turner. Um, yeah, and that quote, it sounds like they just got scared because of that one incident. So they didn't want to go back any farther. But 100% agree with you 100% on that one. So, so I got some cool facts about Azkaban, the prison itself. Um, number one, it was not originally a prison, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, like, so th- the most famous in prison in Harry Potter was not actually made to be a prison. So not much is known about its origins, but it is believed to have been built sometime around the 15th century. And its original inhabitant was an evil wizard named Ek- E-K-R-I-Z-D-I-S. I can't spell it. I don't know. Anyways, um... <laughs> said it's not known if he built the fortress or just found it so it'll all have like an element of mystery but basically he was an evil guy who would lure people to that little island of azkaban to murder them to torture them and murder them so it was never used it wasn't supposed to be a prison uh eventually like like uh, originally i should say now also the point i made before I, i asked hey i wonder if uh azkaban was inspired by alcatraz it was <laughs> so it That's was awesome. yeah alcatraz was used to house the worst of the worst like azkaban it was thought to be the toughest prison just like an azkaban they uh, had a reputation for causing inmates to go insane so this was the uh this was the what's it called inspiration for the prison of azkaban was alcatraz the two prisons also share the fact that an escape both have one escape that accounted that uh, accounted for huge changes for both Azkaban's security being completely overhauled after the second Wizarding War, and Alcatraz closed completely less than a year after the first Great Escape. Uh, the etymology of Azkaban is a mix of Alcatraz and the Hebrew word Abaddon, which means place of destruction. So, pretty good stuff, man. Um, another part of this is, uh, that I found was really cool. Obviously, we talked about uh, him being the, the, a murderer who wrote, <laughs> drove people in there. But also is hidden from the world by magic. So he used a, a complex array of concealment charms to hide Azkaban from the world during his lifetime. It was only after his death that the magic started to fade and, de- and eventually dissipated, revealing the fortress to the world. So it wasn't even like it was his, it, what it was made for. It was like that sick guy who lures people out into the woods and kills them, chops them up in his like cabin, like that, but like the wizard version of it. He lures you out to sea gets you into this place you can't even see it it's magically concealed and all of a sudden you're there and he's torturing you and he's killing you and that's what he did you know for his entire lifetime then he died and then the magic concealing the place ended up dissipating after a while so wow that's thought awesome. that was really cool that's really cool uh it also doesn't appear on any map you cannot find uh, azkaban on a map uh and the dementors were already there when it was discovered so i thought that was pretty dope um that's awesome and then just lastly, the uh, like visitors are allowed, but they're allowed under like super heavy restrictions. Like we gonna, like I don't want to go too far ahead. That's why I kind of pause for a second because we learn a little bit about that next book in Goblet of Fire um, when it comes to visitations for Azkaban. So uh, those are some cool, interesting facts about the prison itself. I thought it was interesting, especially seeing how like a lot of people might not have known it wasn't originally used as a prison. It was a fortress used to lure innocent people and to be killed and slaughtered so <laughs> that's insane <laughs> that's awesome though that's bad i thought that was pretty cool but yeah that's all i've got for my interesting facts and 
I think that wraps us up for Azkaban. You know, we'll, next week we'll tackle the differences between the books and the movies. But this kind of took us through to the end of the story. I think I think we knocked it out of the park with this one, my man. Yeah, man, that was good stuff. Uh, once again, guys, you know, thanks for everything. Uh, you know, always following us and, um, you know, uh, just being loyal followers from the beginning. Got that audio fixed, baby. So we're back at it. It's good stuff. Uh, not that y'all were ever going anywhere. It really means a lot to us. Um, you know, uh, you can always subscribe on YouTube. And, you know, you got us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, um, YouTube. Pretty much every platform. <laughs> yeah, Google we Podcasts, got everything. Like, you find us, we're out there. But, it uh, really means a lot, all you do for us, and we're going to keep this uh, Hogwarts train rolling off the rails, baby. You got anything you want to Yeah, dude, say? just that's the last part on top of everything is that anywhere you find your podcast, you'll find us there. Um, it's been a really big uh, past coming week. Like I said, last Thursday we did our first live event. We're looking to potentially do more live events here in the future. We're really excited about how that turned out. We're really excited for the remainder of of this year actually i told chase i've got the new iphone uh 12 pro max coming in so you guys are going to get some cool new upgrades for a lot of our social sites because we'll be able to utilize uh the technology a little bit more than the phones that we currently have so we're excited to add those little wrinkles in as well there's a lot to look forward to coming from chase and josh of factor fantasy so i'm really pumped up do you think we should go ahead and sign them off and say so long until next week yeah, man, do something right. a little better than the sign-off I gave last time. I yeah, like, let's... Uh, yeah, That was See awesome. See you later. <laughs> like, so I guess we're going now. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so like we always say around here, guys, this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, signing off. off.